Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talk Shoe Radio. This is your host, David Chandler, and we're going to be talking about a very pivotal subject tonight, and it's called The Wiccan Religion Exposed. Now, before I go on, uh, I'm going to advertise some things that are some special events that are going on this week, starting with a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Najee Hawkins. He has a show on Friday night called Friday Night, Free, well, Freestyle Friday Night, and that's going to be starting at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time for all of those who are living on the East Coast um, <clears throat> on Fridays, every Friday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And his wife has a show called Exit Churchianity. She has a website uh, called ExitChurchianity.com. Her name is Evelyn Hawkins, by the way. And she talks about a plethora of topics, uh, a plethora of cultural issues, and they're all Bible-based. Also, we have the four of us. On the GT, myself, Darian Eaton, and Jamel Lashley, we have a um, site called commonsenseandreasons.com. And that, too, is speaking of uh, a plethora of biblical issues. So um, if you would, you can support us in that. In those events, I will support you guys and whatever it is that you have going on. Uh, so... With that being said, uh, I'm going to lead us off in a word of prayer before I continue on with the topic. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your love and your grace, and we thank you, Father, for being with us tonight during this, and being with us uh, over the weekend during this snowstorm, protecting us, Lord, and preventing the power from going out. We ask, Father, that you protect your people tonight and you look over them and their families. Uh, open our hearts tonight as we receive the word of God and open our understanding in regards to the topic that's going to be discussed tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the... the whole, hey, the whole, Yeah. I'm sorry. Hey, go ahead and uh, unmute everybody. Oh, okay. They're not going to be talking over everybody. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about the whole Wiccan religion. And uh, I'm going to start with giving a somewhat of a brief history of what it is and where it came from. Uh, let me look on my notes. Let me get rid of all this stuff first. Hey, uh, Dave, I want to say something before you uh, get started. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for anybody that's listening, anybody that called in, uh, again, this is um, G.C. Hawkins. Uh, for anybody that's calling in, for anybody who listens, who listens later on, uh, and would like to call in, uh, I just want to make it. I want to make it nice and clear for everyone to understand that while one of us or any of us are talking, we have to be respectful of one another's time. And I ask that we all be respectful of everybody's uh, uh, time. And also not to uh, be condescending to to one another. Not saying that anybody has done that, uh, but this is just a, uh, I guess would you call a disclaimer, before the show starts, because uh, we know exactly how a lot of discussions like this can can turn out for other discussions. So uh, it just adds that you respect everybody's time who is talking. If you have a question, uh, you know, feel free to go ahead and jump in, but uh, let's try and be respectful of one another's time. And that's all I wanted to uh, put out there. Well, thank you for that. Um, nice little disclaimer there, GT. Um, we just strive to have peace well, as much as possible when we're talking, especially when we're talking about subjects like this or any other subject that um, is from a biblical perspective. Not saying that this is, but um, we the, the the point is that we have to be respectful of one another, and that's part and parcel to um, being a believer. So anyway, uh, I'm going to be giving out the history of the uh, the Wiccan religion, and it's pretty old. Actually, it's ancient. Uh, I'm going to start with some scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses <laughs> 10, just in case everyone thinks that I'm trying to start off a topic without using scripture. Here it is. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 and 10. That's the Old Testament. Uh, The last book of the Pentateuch, as a matter of fact. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Oh, I'm sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And um, so let me find Genesis chapter. Okay, so verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or or his daughter pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. Now, before I go on, I'm going to be going over these passages of Scripture. I'm just going to read through the the, the passage, uh, and before I start my explanation of my history of where the Wiccan religion came from as a, as as a whole, but I'm going to give you guys uh, a you know, a, a microscopic view of what the occult is and what 
witchcraft is from a biblical perspective. Okay, now verse 11. Or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, thy God, doth drive them out before thee. All right. So there you have it, a microscopic view into the occult. And just in case anyone that's, anybody that's listening doesn't know what it is, the Bible just gave you a view of what it, what it actually is. So the history of this whole religion comes from a guy by the name of Gerald Gardner. He was born in 1884, and I'm going to read my notes here. It's sitting in front of me. Wicca is a common and a much older name for witchcraft. Now, the word witch, or the word, and I'm going to use a lot of terminology for the sake of the topic, the word wizard it means wise one. The word witch means teacher. And um, there is no such thing as a warlock. Any person that's in witchcraft or neo-paganism will tell you that. It's a word that was used for shock value by Satanists, but the two, there are two terms that are in regards to witchcraft, and that's witch, wizard. Witch, female witch, of course, it's a female, and wizard is the male witch, not a warlock. So um, with that being said, I'm going to continue on. In the past, it has most often referred to the human harnessing of supernatural powers for the, uh, the malevolent purpose of practicing black magic. For this reason, witchcraft is not, however, synonymous with Satanism. By the way, witches do not believe that there's a literal devil, and most Satanists don't, for that matter. But they believe in the worship of the earth, or the worship of the, um, the mother goddess. And a lot of witches and a lot of people that are involved in neo-paganism are involved, they, they, if they're in political or neo-political uh, or geopolitical activities, they are to the far left. They lean to the far left. They're very, very, very liberal. They're for women's rights, abortion, gay marriage, uh, sexual freedom, quote-unquote, and they are in the worship of nature. As a matter of fact, they they worship two goddesses, or is it probably just one, but they go by various names, but I only know of two off the top of my head. And that's Lilith, and I'm pretty sure some of you have heard of that name. Um, and the only reason why I brought up brought that name up is because several um, books that I'm pretty sure you've come across um, or several uh, individuals that are involved in neo-paganism will bring up her name, Lilith, and they believe that Lilith was the one that gave birth to Lucifer and Lilith was the one that spread um, enlightenment to all the world. And usually... 
I remember MTV coming out, and it was a commercial, and it had the snake slithering around the M, and it had an the woman naked was holding an apple in her hand, and the apple was draped around the, the well, not the apple, but the, the the snake was draped around the apple, which was symbolic of Lilith, and uh, or symbolic of Lucifer. And the snake was anyway, and the apple was symbolic of the fruit from the knowledge of from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let me continue on. For this reason, witchcraft is not, however, synonymous with Satanism. I already read that part, but not only not all worship Satan. In fact, most of them deny his existence. I've already explained why. They do not believe in hell or original sin or evil. A lot of the founders, or should I say the proponents of witchcraft, don't believe that Satan is the um, is a figure, is more or less a personification of what we call evil. They believe that Satan represents or, symbol, or, or is kind of like symbolic of our primitive nature, the primitive nature of man, which is basically we want to pretty much do whatever it is that we want to do, the beastly nature of man. And that's what Satan means, Satanism means to these people. Not only that, but they're, they're repre- the Satanism is, a, is, is symbolic of um, the, uh, their carnal natures and being your own God, your individualism, um, being... Uh, in touch with the divine or being in touch with, you know, being enlightened within yourself. And it's not, it has nothing to do with anything. As a matter of fact, they believe that Satan is, it it comes out of Christian tradition or Christian um, myths. So, um, but again, Helena Blavatsky believed the same thing, and so did Mary Baker Eddy. And the GTNI did a show on Christian science, and it's fascinating though because Mary Baker Eddy said that there was no original sin; evil was a figment of the person's imagination, and there was no hell. There was no literal hell. So um, again, let me finish. Let me uh, go on here. These groups believe. Satan is an imaginary creation of the Christian church. If they believe in Satan at all, they will tell you the devil is just another Christian deity, and I already explained. Witches do not believe in the existence of demons, and their deities are considered to be imminent. In other words, they believe that within all of us lies a spark of divinity. Sound familiar? That's exactly what the New Age movement believes. A few Wiccan groups do, however, worship Satan. During the Middle Ages, witchcraft experienced a great revival. And this is during the 1800s where the superstitious idea of being involved in witchcraft was, or being you know, involved in witchcraft as a whole was more or less taboo. That whole uh, idea was taken out of the culture and so the supernatural became very popular we look at mother Anne lee who started the shaker movement and spiritism you look at 
Alice Bailey, who was the founder of the Lucis Trust Bank, who is now, or Lucifer Bank, who is now known as the Lucis Trust Bank. You look at Aleister Crowley, who was born in 1874 and died in 1947. You look at Gerald Gardner and and all of these figureheads. They began to proliferate their the Western culture and Eastern Europe with their occultic ideas. And soon those occult their occultic ideas spread to Western society. And that's how we got to where we are now. Um, so <clears throat> let me continue on here. Um, I've already... Uh, Essex William Kenyon is another figurehead within occultism. He believed in what is called the power of positive affirmation. That gave rise to the so-called word of faith movement. Essex William Kenyon believed that your words form your reality or make your reality. So whatever positive words you speak, that's going to be your reality. Mary Baker Eddy was the founder of Christian Science. She believed that um, sin and sickness were a figment of the individual's imagination. Mother Ann Lee founded Spiritism in the Shaker Movement. They, she consulted con uh, familiar spirits on a daily basis, and others like her must like the New Age movement, most Wiccans do not accept the belief that there is good or evil. They believe in what is called dualism, which in Hinduism, that's the idea of the yin and the yang. There's good, there's a good God, and then there's a bad God, and they're always fighting each other. And as opposed to Satanism, which means, well, which teaches in the inverted hermeneutic, which means good is bad and bad is good. They assert that there are there is only forces that must be balanced. Evil is just a necessary part of good, and the negative can be transmuted into the positive. This is a basic belief in what is called medieval alchemy. I'm pretty sure you heard of the story of Rumpelstiltskin, who turned a biller of hay into gold and lead, well, gold. Um, I had to read that when I was really little. I was um, probably six or seven years old. I read a book called Rumpelstiltskin. And Rumpelstiltskin was nothing more than a demon. While political views are not universal amongst witches, some of them anyway, most of them support neo-tolerance, which means there is no absolute truth. What's true for you may not necessarily be true for me. It's sort of kind of like the same type of postmodernist thought that's permeated Western culture. Yeah, your truth may not be my truth, and your truth may not be his truth, and, you know, so forth and so on. So if you believe that women's rights and abortion is wrong and matriarchy and things of that sort and sexual freedom, such as homosexuality and non-monogamous secret sex and all that and teenage sexual activity is wrong, then that's your truth, but it's not absolute truth. It's not supposed to be followed by everybody. Um, so uh, modern-day witches tend to distance themselves from Christianity because of what they claim is the proliferation of a patriarchal male-dominated religion that has traditionally ignored a role in the church and society. I had a conversation with a woman before she left Philadelphia uh, she was in the military for quite some 10 years, as a matter of fact, and I'm not going to name her name 
on the air, but she I came I went over there one day to visit her and she had a book that was sitting across from me in the chair right next to the window. You know, and the cat was playing around with it. So it was sitting up somewhat, and I looked at it, and I thought maybe my eyes were playing tricks on me. But on the cover of the book, it said witchcraft. And so I didn't say anything to her at first. I kind of like, you know, was shaken up. I, I didn't know what to say or what to ask her or what. So I just kept quiet, and I was sitting on the the sofa. And then when she went downstairs to print something out, I went downstairs and she asked me, um, you know, I know you saw um, what was on the uh, the the you know the the chair. So I said, yeah. And she says, well, I'm I'm a witch, um, I'm into witchcraft now because um, Christianity doesn't apply to me as a single woman raising two children. So that's what they believe. They believe that patriarchy is wrong, it's horrible, and so wicked so this this religion Wiccan religion more or less is um kind of caters to them as women and traditionally, however, there have been as many if not more male witches sorcerers as female in some pagan cir- circles such as the druids, while not a religion for women only. Today's witchcraft is very much female dominated. Now, I've already explained to you the start who started um, modern day witchcraft, which with Gerald Gardner, and he was an archaeologist and he accumulated an extensive occult background. While in Southeast Asia, he learned the secrets of the Malaysian magical knife and became a mason and a nudist. In 1939, when he returned to England and avid occultist, he became a member of the Corona Fellowship of Rosicrucians, which is a secret society, he met Dorothy Clutterbuck, who initiated him into witchcraft. J. Gordon Melton wrote two books, one of which he claimed to record accurately the history and practice of witchcraft as he felt it was dying out. He wrote in the book Witchcraft Today, J. Gordon Melton, and look that up when I'm done or whenever you get the opportunity. Research suggests that Gartner did not discover a pre-existing witchcraft group, and a paper by Gartner published by Ripley's, believe it or not, disclosed that Gartner took the magical resources he acquired in Asia and, and, and a selection of Western magical texts and created a new religion centered upon the worship of the Mother Goddess, which I've already explained who that was, Oh, and by the way, um, the Mother Goddess is also known as Gaia. I'm pretty sure you've, you're familiar with the cartoon back in the 80s, Captain Planet. Um, they, they were environmentalists, and they worshipped the Mother Goddess called Gaia. This was an important beginning in witchcraft for the whole. For the, for it is the worship of the Mother Goddess that has become the focus of modern witchcraft. Gardner's writings greatly influenced by Aleister Crowley and, of course, Theosophy, Freemasonry, and other occultic groups. So uh, I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy 18 before I open up the floor to uh, for questions and comments. Now, 
Verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That's called child sacrifice. I'm pretty sure you've heard of the of the Chaldeans back in the Old Testament. God told the children of Israel to stay away from all of those nations that were practicing and worshiping false idols, false gods. And they were knee-deep in ritual sex worship. They were knee-deep in child sacrifice, and this is what that is. It's not walking on coals. It's it's child sacrifice. And this is what the abortion agenda comes from, the worship of Molech. And uh, oh, that uses divination. Divination basically is looking through crystal balls, looking through the mirror, shouting Bloody, uh, Bloody Mary or whatever the case may be, and that's the usage of um, crystal balls for information. And an observer of times, astrology, worshiping of the stars. Uh, and you have the, an enchanter, which is hypnosis. A lot of your secular psychologists were hypnosis, you know, were occultists, such as uh, Sigmund Freud, Alfred Adler. Um, the other guy's name, Pavlov, um, all of these individuals were um, occultic, uh, they were cultists, and they hated Christianity, they hated the Bible with a passion, or a witch, which is pretty much self-explanatory, I've already explained what a witch was, or a charmer, a charmer basically is uh, like what you saw, what you see in, in Eastern, in Southeast Asia with those people with those little instruments that would charm a, a snake, and the snake is, is just following him. It's not necessarily following the music, but that's a charmer. Uh, a consulter with familiar spirits. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the show Medium with Patricia Arquette. She consulted familiar spirits to gain information to solve a lot of the, the police cases, murder cases. A lot of your musicians consult familiar spirits to get their music. Beyonce, um, Eminem, um, the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, um, a, a lot of your uh, rock mu musicians, Led Zeppelin, as a matter of fact, the, the the guitarist for Led Zeppelin uh, bought Aleister Crowley's mansion. Um, Sting, David uh, David Bowie, who just passed away, um, the Rolling Stones, Sympathy of the Devil, you know, all of them, con you know, they consulted con familiar spirits to get their music. Even some within Hollywood, like Denzel Washington, Robin Williams, Nicolas Cage. Um, uh, Kenneth Anger did the same thing. He consulted familiar spirits to get his ideas to write his scripts. And a wizard, a male witch, or a necromancer, a person who consults the spirits of the dead. And all of these things are uh, forbidden by scripture. And that's what the occult is. So uh, I'm going to open up the floor 
for anyone who has any um, questions or answers before I continue on. I guess not. <laughs> yeah, everyone's uh Yep, no one's have they, they don't have any uh response. Um so do you have any questions, any comments? Who me? Yes. Uh mm, not yet. Uh I don't have any comments yet. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm I do. I'm gonna I'm, I'm just wait because uh, uh, actually, what I'm gonna do is uh, go into a little bit more detail as well. So uh, yeah, I'll I'll wait. Okay. Uh, someone else had a question. I was just gonna. Uh, well, I guess the question is, uh, did you? Uh, in your in your research, did you uh, go back in the uh, day during you know during the times of the early, um, I guess the early introduction or of uh, or being introduced to the uh, what is now uh, rock, hip hop, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when they used to actually do what is called back masking. Yes. Back... Hello. That's David. That's David's favorite. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> okay, I just, I, I, you know, this is my first time hearing, you know, what what you have to say about all this, and uh, and uh, you went through a long list of uh, of people in the entertainment business, and some of these people, uh, you know, go back in the early days of when I was first getting into the study, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, just give you a clue, I graduated in 1975 from high school, so they give you an idea how far I go back. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anyway, that was it. That was just that was, that's it. You know, maybe somebody else may want to define that or explain that. That's well, cool. Well, backward masking was a was something that was taught by Aleister Crowley. He wrote in his book called Magic, Fear, and Practice. I think is what it's called. Um, he he said um, that um, let him who uh, walk backwards talk backwards, and uh, listen to phonographic records reversed. So um, Led Zeppelin wrote, uh, did the, and as a matter of fact, they were followers of Aleister Crowley. And their song, Stairway to Heaven, was based off of neo-paganism, the, to the god Pan, and all 26 words of what of of the song was an ode to Satan. As a matter of fact, here's to my sweet Satan. I would like to live it backwards like the Zep, whose power is Satan. He will give you 666. There's no escaping it. You know, see, so even people that were recording the, the song said that it has to be the devil because nobody else can, knows how to do it. Um, then there's, um, Jay-Z, who, who, uh, sung the song or rapped, um, about Lucifer. The song was called Lucifer. It was written by Kanye West. Um, so backwards 
in the front words, it says Lucifer's son of the morning. And then backwards it says, murder, murder, Jesus, 666. And um, I'm pretty sure you've heard of G. Craig Lewis. He, he goes through all that. He um, exposed the whole hip-hop rap uh, genre since 2002. And he um, confronted, I think he confronted Jay-Z, if I'm not mistaken. And Jay-Z was strictly in denial of it. He said that, that that's not what is on the tape, but it is. Queen, uh, the rock group Queen, with their song, Another One Bites the Dust. Forward, you have Another One Bites the Dust, Another One Bites the Dust, you know, five or six times. And then backwards, it says, It's fun to smoke marijuana. So that's what backmasking is. And let me explain um, what the, the, there are three types of backward masking. There's one that's done on purpose, two that's done. Um, is is in the song itself. Then three is done purposely. Well, I already said it's done purposely. And then three is done by um, by accident. I think it's it is. And excuse uh, me. Yes. I'm sorry. There are no accidents in the spirit world. Well, no, there's no accidents. But, uh, <laughs> you mean you mean unintentionally the people who are actually performing and and creating in in the studio, whatever. It's an, it's something that they themselves did not intend to do. Yeah, that that's what it is. Yeah. And so um, a lot of them don't, they're puppets. They don't know what they've done. Or they when, once they sign the contract and they sell their souls, they don't know who they're selling their souls to. All they know is that they're going to be famous, and they don't know until it's too late. And so... Uh, this is what is part and parcel to the entire music entertainment industry. Uh, Can I add, of... add, add one more thing? Mm-hmm. Um, in the so-called Christian church, they fail to realize that just because you eliminate, you can scrub all the lyrics and then create your own, your own, you have, you still carry the cadence and the hypnotic iambic pentameter that actually carries the spiritual influence that doesn't have words. That would make sense. Uh, because now that's the truth. <laughs> that's the yeah, truth. That, that makes sense because uh, I know. I know David has already uh has talked on this uh quite quite a bit about Ezekiel uh twenty eight and the uh the creation of, of Lucifer and how he had pipes built within him and tabret and that yes. he was uh in charge of the uh the, the choir of heaven and thus today, although you know, now that he is uh, at least kicked out of the presence of God, uh, he is still able to work or use that ability that he has with music to influence uh, people today. Uh, as a matter of fact, later on, if if we get a chance, I'll jump. I'll I'll touch on that considering uh, uh, considering what happened 
in the Garden of Eden between the serpent and and Eve. But yes, that's a a pretty good assessment. Well, and not only that, but you have um, Satan because Satan wants to be wor- well, he wanted to be worshipped, and he still does. So, wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it be logical for him for these rock stars, these musicians or whatever, rappers, whatever you want to call them, to want that as well. Have you ever noticed what Jay-Z does when he is performing live? You know, J to the Izzo, V to the Izze. You know what that spells? Jehovah God. He's saying that he's God. And so he wants worship. So the spirits that have inhabited the... I, I was listening to a... Um, recording of a guy by the name of John Todd. Now, I'm pretty sure some of you have heard of him, some of you haven't. But uh, John Todd said the very same thing that we're talking about now, that every he said this, and this kind of woke me up out of whatever it is that I was doing. He said that every every song is a spell, and every witch knows it. So I said to myself, what? So you mean to tell me that every song that every person listens to becomes captivated, becomes under, they, they get, they, they, you know, they, they become influenced by that spell. They become influenced by that music, whatever it is that the musician is saying or singing or rapping about. So if the rapper is talking about violence and and he's talking about sex, and he's talking about all kinds of other evil. He's talking about nihilism, which is the belief that life is meaningless. Then that person listening becomes indoctrinated from the very first time he listens to the very first note. He becomes indoctrinated by what that musician is saying. And a lot of people will argue with you, well, it's just music. I don't, you know... Who cares what the person is talking about? Well, you should care because most of the rappers are sagging. Now everyone, you know, a lot of the guys are walking around with their pants sagging. Strange, isn't it, for for it to just be music? But the musicians themselves are saying that music, that music is a language. What are they saying? Music, music is a universal language. In other words, it's a spell. If I may. Yes. The entire book of Psalms are, are lyrics, and uh, those lyrics were accompanied by music uh, played uh, by anointed musicians. Uh, David himself was called upon, by design of God, called upon to play his instrument in order to ease the vexation that God had set upon Saul. Because it says that the evil spirit from the Lord set upon Saul. And David was the only one who uh, was anointed by God in order to ease and deliver Saul from that vexation by the playing of his music. Right. So the, the entire Old Testament sets up not just from you know where where you started with the uh, you know as far as uh, uh, the last book of the of the Pentateuch, but throughout the Word of God, 
mm-hmm. the, the scriptures themselves. I use the term iambic pentameter on purpose because that is the rhythm of language. You know, whether it be poetry, no matter what it, what it is, whether it be Shakespeare, uh, whatever it is, the Bible has its own timbre, mm-hmm. its own cadence. Right. And that when a person learns to read according to that cadence, and I say the fluid ability to read, they actually come in tune or, or let's say have a connection with God's heartbeat because we're made in his image and likeness. And if I'm making any kind of sense, I hope somebody can say amen. <laughs> you are amen. You know, so, but anyway, I'm going to go back on mute, and uh, thank you for allowing me to share. That's, that's not a problem. Um, but yeah, Ezekiel 28 and 14, Isaiah 14 and 12 says that Lucifer was the son of the morning, which means he was in charge of music. Not only was he the anointed cherub that covereth, which meant that he was the head of the entire angelic population in heaven, but he was in charge of music. So can you imagine the power that he must have welled? That doesn't mean that he's all-powerful because we know that he's not, according to the word of God. But he was, one, he was the most powerful angel in heaven. So Lucifer wanted to be worshipped as God. So God threw him out of heaven, and one-third of the angel population went with him. And But did he lose his power? No. He just fell. You know, he lost his first estate, according to the, uh, Jude, chapter 1. But music is one of Satan's main um, objectives to poison the Western culture, and that's exactly what he has done. Uh, we, we look at um, Kanye West. Um, uh, Kanye West was, um, he, uh, of course, we know he said in an, an open form in front of all his fans, he said he sold his soul to the devil. I know it was a crappy deal. At least it came with a, a few toys and like a Happy Meal. Then you've got Katy Perry, who said that she looked up to, uh, to she wanted to be the a Christian artist like Amy Grant. He wanted to be, she wanted to be the anti-Grant of music, and it didn't work out, so she ended up selling her soul to the devil. Then you look at um, Beyonce, who said on camera, she said she can't sing at all. She can't sing. She, 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 you know, she can't stand up there and sing strong and powerful. She's usually shy and withdrawn. Well, not withdrawn, but she's usually reserved. And she opened up her arms. She outstretched her arms. She actually felt something come into her. Mm. And so, as a result of that, that, that deity, by that entity, by the way, is Sasha Fierce. And so, Sasha Fierce, the demon, channels. Her music through her, and that is why she's able to sing, she's able to dance, she's able to do all these things. Eminem, same thing. He had a song called My Darling. It's him and the demon rapping to to, to each other. 
and and so that and he's confessing that he sold his soul. So you can't say that music, the witchcraft isn't in music because it is. So um, you know Helena Blavatsky, on the other hand, uh, said that uh, the snake that give, he is, the Lucifer is the snake that giveth knowledge. So they don't believe that if they do believe in in the devil, they don't believe that he's evil. They don't believe that he is some type of evil. He's not the personification of evil, but he is the true God that wants to give us or wanted to give us um, esoteric knowledge. You look at Genesis chapter 3, you know, the serpent was the most subtle beast in the field, and um, Eve, she went to Eve and said, you know, ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. Your eyes shall be opened. Mm-hmm. Your eyes shall be opened. So now, the, the New Age movement says that there's a spark of divinity within all of us. In other words, you have within yourself the ability to change your own environment, to change your own world, to change your own existence because of that spark of divinity that's within you. And that is true. I'm sorry? And yeah, that and that is true because God repeated exactly what Satan said because the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created by God. What Satan did was, was use the power of the reference of that in order to deceive Eve to do something out of order and partake of the only thing that God had, had told them not to partake of because right. the tree of life was not a tree that was was denied them. But because they went out of order, and God, you read to the very next chapter, he repeated, who has told you? He said, now, lest the man take hold and become like as we are to know good and evil. We got to get him out of here. And then now we come into the full fruits of, of the resurrected Christ and Christ in us, so that we can partake of the tree of life and and well, come you know, into the full fruit of what God intended for his creation to be. I'm back on mute again. I kind of agree with that. Because I like to say to people who who argue with me, a lot of pagans, I know a lot of pagans, and they'll argue with me, well, you know, uh, if, they, if, if they had never taken the fruit, they never would have known, and that's not true. God had every intention of teaching, of teaching them, showing them, educating them, raising them up, maturing them. But they had to follow orders first, and they didn't follow orders. But people extrapolate yeah. and all that and say, well, they never would have learned it, and blah, blah, and that's not true. Yeah, I look at uh, the reference again, and uh, and this is on the GT, I'm looking at, Genesis 3, um, at the end of that discourse, God, he, 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 what he said was, he said, behold, the man has become like one of us. That's exactly what happened, knowing good and evil. 
But God said, now if he take hold of the tree of life, and then it pauses there. And I tend to think that what type of uh, what type of world would we be living in if man in his fallen state would have had access to the tree of life? So as far as man become, and again, uh, you know, the term the term is, is 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 used twice I know in scripture where it is said, "Are ye not God?" And I tend to look at the uh, literal application of what is said in Genesis three to know good and evil as what he means to uh, to be as God, but to live to live forever. Of course, we know that was. Uh, that tree of life was actually uh, taken away. But I wanted to also focus in a little bit more on what took place between uh, the serpent and Eve. Now, the Hebrew word used to describe this serpent in the garden is nakash. And the, the root word is the same, nakash. And the word nakash means to practice divination, uh, enchantment, enchanter, uh, to observe signs, and so on, fortune-telling, okay? So looking at Wiccan, we're looking at the uh, definition of, uh, of Wiccan, and I noticed every, almost every word used to... Uh, define what a Wiccan is, a witch, a warlock, soothsayer. Um, let me find it real quick. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, an old English masculine noun meaning male witch, wizard, soothsayer, sorcerer, astrologer, magician, uh, etc. So witchcraft or the, Wic- the Wiccan religion or the concepts of, of, of Wiccan is pretty much surrounded by witchcraft. And when we look at the conversation that took place between Adam, I mean, uh, between Eve and the serpent, she said this one thing. She said the serpent beguiled me. Now, maybe y'all can help me out on this one. What in the world was going on between uh, the serpent, who was Satan, and Eve, to where she was deceived within that little bit of time. What was he using some type of enchantment? Was he using some type of divination? Uh, because the, the the Hebrew word used here for serpent is nakash. Right. And so uh, if anybody can at least uh, add on to that or uh, what they get from that. Well, that's listening. fascinating. Well, well the, fact, the fact that, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, you said. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, I think, GT, it's fascinating that you brought that up because I never really looked at it that way. Uh, never really had the chance to examine what in the world went on between that interaction uh, between uh, the devil or the serpent and Eve for her to be so to become so enchanted or beguiled so quickly. And right. I think the, uh, the definition, I have to say, the devil is in the details. 
And when you look at the, uh, uh, you, you know, when you read just that interaction, okay, it doesn't obviously go into a whole big dissertation as, as to what went down. Uh, we don't know. You know, we have to understand we're talking about on the other side of the, of the sword that keeps the, the way to the, uh, the garden. So we don't know how much time was involved. We don't know if that was 100 years, 1,000 years. We don't know if it was 20 minutes or 10 seconds. Okay, so understand this, that it was a spiritual realm of existence that did not deal with what, what we can associate with divinations and so on and so forth. So it's all about defining. So uh, as you, as rightfully, you know, you, you know, serpent mean the kosh. So he was beguiling. He was uh, interacting with her from the perspective of what is known today as carnal knowledge. He was helping her through that interaction to understand more about the sensual nature of who she is. And that is why, if you read, read on that. Don't, don't take my word for it. Read through. I hope somebody's reading it right now while I'm talking. I am, actually. <laughs> Immediately, after she, after she committed, by going ahead and looking at it according to the way he beguiled her to look at it, she went and she partook of it and went and took it to her husband, and he partook of it, of it also. Now, let me read um, from there. Um, verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the eye, and saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, I'm going to stop here because this is very significant. The word here, why, and I, I keep reiterating, we were talking about witchcraft, we we're talking about the, the whole Wiccan religion. I, I explained earlier in the uh, in, in the call, that the word uh, wizard means wise one. Mm -hmm. What are they wise in? Well, they're wise in esoteric knowledge. And so, is, could it be logical to think that Satan was beguiling Eve with esoteric knowledge? Well, esoteric knowledge in its simplest form. Remember. On the other side of the of the of the sword that keeps the way to the garden, we're on a side that is not of that side. The garden right. is still there. The way is still there. That dimensional existence is still there. We're just not in it. So in the midst of our defining and trying to understand and and you know we got all these words and all these different things that but the essence, the very beginning workings of that on this earth is what Satan was involved with with Eve. And remember, the time reference, we haven't a clue. Well, let me speak on that uh, for anybody who may be a little confused about this, uh, what, what he means on this side of the sword. And, uh, so talking about the description? Yeah, if you, if, you, if you read and you understand, the Garden of Eden is in a plane, is in, is in a dimensional plane uh, where, where God is at. Right. And in the beginning, the world, the world and the garden, or heaven and earth, was an interdimensional plane. But 
after the fall, God had to place a veil between that dimension and this dimension because we are incompatible with God. So therefore, if we were to even enter there into the garden or uh, in place in the place where God is at, we will, uh, we will ultimately die. Right. I got a but, question. I, I I got a question before you go on. So okay. you're not saying that, or okay, let me let me just put it in. You you don't believe that the Garden of Eden was on Earth, but it was some type of in, you know interdimensional plane of existence. I'm just I'm just trying to like understand what you mean. Yeah. The reason, and, and, and yeah, I'm the right reason, there with him on that. Yeah, he's right. I'm yeah, sorry. the reason. <laughs> yeah, the reason why. Uh, that's exactly what I what I believe because I understand that when Adam sinned, God placed a veil between those two dimensions. So, Read Genesis three twenty two so to the end. Can I can I ask? I'm sorry. This is Brother Jamel. I hate to interrupt. I really do because you guys are getting into it. But can I ask a question? Because okay, it seems as though, go ahead. I mean, because there's a scripture that actually speaks of the actual geographical location of Eden, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. It's in Mesopotamia, which some some scholars believe it's in Africa, some don't. But uh, Najiti, you're, you're a little bit more uh, knowledgeable in the history of Africa and things of that sort. Can <coughs> you explain to our callers where where uh, where it is? Yeah, just so we can understand that Eden is a physical place that actually was yeah, here. That's what I was told. I, I told I was told that Eden was an actual place. Here. I mean, it is. It is. It an is. But but you have to understand that. Look at the scripture. God did not destroy Eden. God right. drove man from Eden. Right. Right. He placed at the at the entrance that's why i said read the last uh, uh three three verses in the in the third chapter so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of eden cherubims mm-hmm. and a yeah, sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life right. now the tree of life is on this side when jesus is the tree of life and then we are supposed to have that in us I got it now. I got it. I got it now. And, I, I see and, where you and, guys are. And then you look at Joel uh, chapter 2, which goes along with Acts chapter 2, and it says that they have a fire behind them and Eden before them. Right. Okay, I see where That's, you guys are coming from. Now, let me uh, go a little further on the geographical location of where the Garden of Eden possibly could have been. Uh, it could have it could have been where uh, Nimrod built the Tower of Babel because mm-hmm. uh, if you think about the four rivers that extended out of the garden, remember, uh, let me say it like this. Let's look at it like this. When Nimrod came into power and he built the Tower of Babel, he built it between the two rivers, the Fertile Crescent. Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be the place where uh, the uh, how can I say the 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 first the first community or the first civilization flourished at or whatever. The reason why Nimrod built the Tower of Babel there is because he thought or figured that that is the place where the uh, Garden of Eden 
is located. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there are some other speculations that will state that the Garden of Eden is more than likely in Jerusalem, but <laughs> the, the physical, the, I want to say the, the, spirit, the spiritual plane is not accessible because of that veil. And when Jesus Christ comes back and tears open that veil, this is when he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. And then there you have it. You see, the nations of the world will eat of the uh, the fruit of the tree of life because its leaves and its branches will extend to the further places uh, of the nation. And uh, I'm those- telling you, excuse me, brother, but I'm telling you right now, all of you right now, there is no way that I am going to trust in the word of God, that I have the spirit of God in me according to the word of God and not have access to the very essence of what the Garden of Eden is, because that is where God dwells. So God, God does not have a finger inside of me and a foot over there somewhere else. Okay, when have you have the spirit yeah, yeah. of God in agree, you, you have the presence of the Godhead bodily. I yeah, have a quick I question. Agree. Can I, I ask agree. a question? Oh, go ahead. Uh, All right, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Um, someone has a question. And Shinar is a different geographical location from where the Garden of Eden uh, was, and the and the reference to the exact point is exactly where. Uh, they that where they were put out into this plane of existence, so mm-hmm. we can travel there all we want, but in order to come into the essence of what the Edenic essence is, that is only where God can take us, either uh, you know by His own translation uh, of us into that dimensional place, or through the passing away of this flesh. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Uh, Catrice, you had a, a question? Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, okay. So now I agree with you on all those points. My question is, do you think – now this is something I have thought. I, I just want to get your feedback on it because it's still kind of formulating as a theory. But <laughs> do you think that a lot of these I, – I call them the Hoteps and the Kemets and the Herus and all that – do you think with their obsession with, quote, activating the third eye and stimulating the pineal gland and, and all that, do you think they're trying to gain access to Eden illegally? Yes. yes. That's, okay. exactly, that's okay. exactly what they are, are trying to do. And it's a, it's a counterfeit. That's what I it's thought. It's a counterfeit. And it has everything to do with this discussion we have tonight because – they are under the influence of witchcraft. Yeah. Would you say that it correlates? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was I was just going to say um just one point that I I neglected to to jump in about when we were talking about um uh the serpent beguiling the woman in the garden mm-hmm. and the uh, the whole nature of witchcraft. I, from what I have learned, and I'd like your feedback on this. I have I have been learning that witchcraft is basically the use of words. It is. If you it is. words a certain way. So, you know, if you study things, I used to be a psych major. I, I abandoned that. I found out it was basically witchcraft. 
Well, that's what I had to take when I was in college. I had to take as an English major. And see, it's basically witchcraft when you... So now, if you study things or study the subject of neuro-linguistic programming, Mm -hmm. that's basically what we're all under today. And so... I think that I think I agree with you that it started there in the garden. I think that's basically a variation of that mm-hmm. programming. And then also another point was the word of God says, and I I have to look it up. It says the woman was deceived, the man was not. Right. Amen. Genesis three. And uh, before you go on to GT, because I know you're chopping at the bit, I talk about the Kemets and all that. Uh, I'm gonna just let you have it after I make this point. Uh, you're so right. Um, what what is your name? I'm sorry, Catrice. Oh, me? Yeah, Catrice. Oh, but uh, I had to take psych class when uh, a lot of psych classes when I was in school because I, you know I was an English major, and I felt well, okay, what does that have to do with my program? But anyway, uh, I've le- I've learned Freud, um, Alfred Adler, Eric Erickson, um, <clears throat> um, Ivan Pavlov. Uh, all these guys, you know, Pavlov studied what is called or started what it's called uh, classical and operant conditioning, you know, with the dogs. And every time he rung the bell, the dogs would salivate. And Eric Erickson, the whole hierarchy of knees and things of this sort. And all of these men were on drugs, um, yep. mescaline. You know, you look at Timothy Leary, who was another psych professor at Harvard. He handed out LSD to the youth in during the 1960s. You know, Woodstock, he was the whole purveyor of the whole Woodstock generation back in 1968, 69. And he talked about uh, tune in, turn off, and drop out. And I, I kind of figured, well, what does that mean? Well, it's a drug reference. And Leary was... Uh, you know, into Aleister Crowley. And he said in an interview on Channel 12, he said that I admired, I admired Aleister Crowley and, um, you know, every, uh, over 100 years ago. And, you know, he said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. It's a very uh, profound statement. I'm, I'm sorry he isn't, in, he isn't here to uh, uh, see the glories that he started. Glories? So I'm saying to myself, okay, Here's Timothy Leary, then you've got Pavlov, and all of these guys, they were in the LSD and cocaine and all kinds of mind-bending drugs. Why? Because they were trying to open themselves up to the, the demon world to mm-hmm. consult uh, familiar spirits. And that's where Freud, that's where Freud comes in. That's where the names that I just that finished talking about. So, yeah. Witchcraft is all about words. It's all about your words um, altering your environment. This is where the word of faith movement comes in. You know, why do they always emphasize, you know, what you say? You know, you say, you have what you say. Kenneth Copeland, uh, Creflo Dollar, Gloria Copeland, his wife. Deep partners in that entire, I was partners with Copeland. I, I even went over to the prophetic movement. You know, Patricia King and James Gall and, Mm. you know, all of those charlatans, I was deep in it. Mm -hmm. And God had to rescue me from that and and show me. 
said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what to keep and what to throw away. If it's in right. the word, keep it. <laughs> if it's not, throw it away. And there mm-hmm. actually is a word of faith that we preach, but that's in the word of God. It's not that. Correct. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, you know, faith is the subject of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our, um, you know, the object of our faith is God is what that verse is telling us. But the Copelands and all those word of faith teachers will tell you the opposite. They'll tell you that faith is the substance. And since faith is the substance that we speak, that's going to turn around and, um, you know, it, it's going to turn into something that we can see visually. Money. You know, yeah, money. And, and that whole visualization thing. And Romans 10.8 says, but what does it say? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. Mm-hmm. which we preach. And they turned it into something else completely, but that's what it says in the Word. Well, they get their doctrines from ex- Essex William Kenyon, who was a yeah. purveyor of PMA, which is the, po- uh, the the doctrine of positive mental attitude. And it's straight out of the occult. If you were a partner with Copeland, you had to read Kenyon's book. Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. Oral Roberts got his writings from Kenyon. Oral Roberts and Kenneth Hagen, they all yep. got their writings from Kenyon. And Kenyon and, and Phineas Quimby, by the way, Phineas Quimby was a follower of Mary Baker Eddy. Remember in the GT, we did a whole study on the whole Christian science Christian. thing. Yeah, positive thinking, uh, uh, thinking right, oh, not thinking right, but right thinking in yep. order to heal yourself, yeah, a lot of that is, is witchcraft. Yeah, and well, a lot uh, of that stems from out of there, yep. If I'm not mistaken, uh, that falls a lot in line with uh, uh, the Word of Faith movement. Right. Mm-hmm. And I used to be in a Word can of Faith church. I'm sorry? I said, can you touch on that, the Word of Faith movement a little bit? Oh yeah, the, the word of faith movement was is connection with the whole uh, with uh, with witchcraft. Oh well, yeah. Uh, the the word of faith movement is, in in essence, Christianized witchcraft. Uh, Catherine Coleman was a witch. She was into that whole tent ministries, that whole um, faith healing thing with along with Oral Roberts and. Um, uh, you know Kenneth Hagen and all those guys, but um, I'm going to keep it kind of simple in a sense. But the Word of Faith movement started with uh, Phineas Quimby and Essex William Kenyon. Kenyon was a little more—I um, hate to say this—he was a little bit more orthodox as far as our Christian doctrine uh, than Quimby was. Quimby was straight out of the mouth of the occult, and he was a follower of. Mary Baker Eddy. As a matter of fact, when Eddy got sick, Quimby came over to her house to try to heal her because he believed in divine healing, not the same kind of divine healing that we believe according to the Word of God, but he de- he believed that our words are supp- if we think right words, if we think right thoughts, then we can transmute or we can alter the bad thoughts or we can um, throw out the bad thoughts, and then we can be healed physically. And this is what the Word of Faith movement believes. It's an offshoot of the whole Pentecostal charismatic movement. And 
uh, all of these guys say the same things. You know, Kenneth Copeland will say uh, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, and that's been hideously um, quoted out of context by Copeland. Matter of fact, Copeland does not believe that Jesus Christ was God when he was on the earth, when he was doing his three-year ministry on earth, but he was just a man that was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the same thing that Gnosticism teaches? Gnosticism is straight out of the mouth of the occult as well. They teach that Jesus Christ was not, couldn't have been a man because flesh and blood is evil. And so since flesh and blood is evil, spiritual things or the idea of esoteric knowledge is good. So they don't believe that Jesus Christ was a man. So they believe that Jesus Christ was an idea. Um, you have the Christ on the inside of you. So isn't, Kenneth Copeland says the same thing, basically. He says that you can do what the same thing that the anointing did for Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. In other words, I had a guy tell me that, no, Jesus Christ never claimed to be God, but he was on the earth to show us what we can do with the anointing because he was just anointed by the Holy Spirit, and since he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and so when we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we can do what he did. And that's what they think faith is. Faith is the same thing. We have the same kind of faith that God has. Well, God doesn't have any faith. I said before, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So what is the object of our faith? God. It's not our words, but Kenneth Copeland will tell you that the object of our faith is the words that come out of our mouth, whether they're, whether they're good or bad, whether they're positive or negative. And that's the whole uh, essence of the Word of Faith movement is, is straight out of the mouth of the occult. Um, Kenyon, um, Kenneth Hagen and uh, who's that other guy? Um, Oral Roberts get, you know, their writings come from, Kenneth, from uh, Quimby and, and, uh, and uh, you know, Quimby and the... Um, you know, they they all they, they all get their ideas. It, it's sort of kind of like plagiarism. You know, they plagiarize each other's writings because they're teaching the same things. You know, Kenyon and, and Quimby wrote the same things that um, you know uh, Kenneth Hagen and all those other guys are writing, and then they're teaching the same things that Kenneth Hagen and he's dead, by the way. He, he passed away in 2000, I think he passed away in 2001, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Oral Roberts is long dead. And so all of these guys, uh, Dollar, Copeland, the Copelands, uh, Joseph Prince, uh, who else? Uh, P.D. Jakes, <laughs> Osteen. Um, Duplantis. Yeah, Duplantis, Charles Capps. Uh, all of these guys, and Je and Jesse Duplantis is out of his mind, out of his mind. He said that God didn't even know what he created, so he told Adam to tell God what he created. Mm. Mm -mm. Okay. <laughs> That's straight up witchcraft right there. <laughs> yeah. So this is what they're teaching. And so Gnosticism has interwoven itself into the Christian church. So 
every time you turn around and you talk to the average Christian, you hear the same things. You hear, and it's dangerously close, border, it's just borderline witchcraft. That's all it is. Have you noticed that a whole lot of these preachers and ministers are actually Masons, like high-level, high-degree mm-hmm. Masons? Mm-hmm. Not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. See, GT's over there turning inside out. Uh, <laughs> I'm chilling right now. I'm listening to y'all. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. But see, I've, I've noticed that also. I've had two individuals in my family. They're they're long. They're, they're passed away, but they were. One was an Eastern Star, and one was a Freemason. And um, it's it's fascinating how these people are in the church. When I was a, a, a junior Mason. Uh, we went to a church here in Philadelphia a long time ago. I was in high school, 10th grade, and we went to a church in uh, Philly, and they accepted us with open arms. And I, I wasn't saved back then, so I didn't know what was going on. So it's it's amazing to me how there are a lot of pastors, especially down in the South. I, I don't know too many pastors up here that are in that that are in Freemasonry. They, there may be. I, I don't know off the top well, of my head. There's a lot here in Detroit. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. You know. Well, I, I the only reason I know this is because there's a lot of Masons in my own family, and a couple of them. My grandfather, for one, was a very high-ranking, high-degree Mason. So not just down south, but also because we're based in uh, a lot of my friends from North Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama. And but also here in Michigan, in Detroit. Excuse me. Did you say uh, uh, that you're from uh, Philly? Yes. <laughs> Brother, there are Masons around every corner in Philly. Really? Well, yeah, they are. But uh, I don't DC know. is is Masonic territory. Philadelphia. You know the very the very foundation of this so-called republic, this country is founded upon Masonic principles. I do know that. You know, so, a lot of our founding fathers were That Mason. was not the South. Well, I understand that. But what I was saying is uh, my, my whole premise was I do not know if any of the pastors here are Masons or not. The uh, average black Baptist uh, preacher, which I can speak very mm-hmm. good on, mm-hmm. the average black Baptist preacher Average mm-hmm. is a mason, or or in right. the shrine. Yeah, you're right. So, just mm-hmm. walk down the street. Yeah, it's true. I've they been to Philly. There's a whole lot of churches in Philly. You know and I and I believe that wholeheartedly because uh, I've seen it to the point where David, we talked about this. How yeah. we've seen some, how we've seen some pastors initiate some of their uh, members to bishophood using uh, freakish-looking Masonic Initiation Act. Yeah, like, Wayne T. Jackson. Yeah, yeah, Wayne T. Jackson, how he, he covered up the two men. He covered up the two men with uh, a cloth, and then he laid on them on their backside. And I remember watching that, and I was like, yo, that looks like something Masons 
or sororities would do when they initiate somebody into their ranks. It sounds like that riding a goat. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I cannot say I've actually seen that, but that's the first thing that came to my mind as you were describing that. Because yeah. there is something about that part of the Masonic uh, uh, ritual that I've read about, and I've actually read the books, uh, um, their books, you know, but, you know, I've never been inside to see what they do. But that writing the goat uh, has something to do with establishing the confidence of the initiate, you know, uh, with their brothers. And yeah. the... Uh, in the white Masonic uh, uh, rituals, it's different than the Prince Hall affiliated or black Masonic uh, rituals. Yeah. So it's two different ways that, that riding the goat uh, is expressed. Right. Yeah. A, lot of them, a lot of them have, uh, like if you, if you talk to any uh, Prince Hall or Shriners uh, member, they all would tell you a different way that they were initiated, but a lot of it really just stems back to uh, stems right back to one source, and that is uh, Freemasons, the Illuminati, and uh, the Brotherhood of the Serpent and Brotherhood of the Snake. Yeah, were mentioned, which started way back, I believe, right there in the garden. Uh, when they get deeper into the shrine, that's when they know who sits in the corner. That mm-hmm. one area, that one area of the room where where they try not to have any light, so it'll be sort of a shadow. It's the only shadow that exists in the room, and that is the place where he sits. and And his name is only whispered as you get to that uh, that level of initiate uh, mm-hmm. in the shrine, and they tell you his name is Lucifer. Yep, yep. That's exactly what they'll tell you. The higher you up, the more you know about the real yeah. God of these these particular um, brotherhoods. You know, I, I had no when I was in uh, I was a junior mason, and um, here in Philly there's a Masonic hall right on Broad Street, and my uncle who was alive, you know, not my uncle by blood, but he took me there, and I was initiated. I was blindfolded. I was made to stand in the line. I was blindfolded. And this was late at night. Well, not late at night, but we left late at night. And, yes, the, the floors were checkered. Yes. We were all in this little, it was sort of kind of like a courtroom type of thing. And I didn't see it at first because I was blindfolded. And so the, the guy, young man, he was probably in middle school at the time, he was reading from a pamphlet. And... Uh, we were after we were initiated. We were told we had to take a vow of secrecy. We didn't, could not. There was no option of us telling anybody that was outside of the brotherhood, or we would be kicked out. So, or we would be disfellowshipped. So, um, there were no extremes. You cut out your tongue and all that. Well, of course, it would probably get worse as the Crabs higher up you go. <laughs> but uh, we we were initiated, and so. Um, of course, we had to wear the, the traditional black outfits, uh, bow tie, white shirt, um, the, uh, the the waist things. Well, it was green, though. And uh, so 
this is what we had to commit to. I got out of it um, in the summer, and I didn't go because I didn't, we were supposed to go away to North Carolina, and I, I dropped out of it at the time. And when I did studies on Freemasonry and all this other stuff, I was scared to death because this was what they were worshiping, the great architect of the universe, which is not God or not the God of the Bible, but it was Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And but the average the average Mason who is not in the shrine really thinks, because of the deceptive way it is taught, they really do think that the, the that the Grand Architect is the same God who sent Jesus. Mm-hmm. Until you get into the shrine, and I'm not saying shrine. You have you know you got your 33rd degree, but then you have you know levels that are not. Uh, uh, let's say publicly known uh, levels. Uh, yeah, it's uh, higher than the thirty-third degree. Yes, really. And and so the higher you get, uh, within I think it's called within the consistory. Con, I can't say that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, consistory or whatever it is. Uh, mm-hmm. That is when you come <coughs> to the full understanding. And and really, by the time you become a thirty-third degree shriner, you're locked in. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much locked uh, into that. Yeah, you you're locked in for life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I have I have a friend who's over the entire state of uh, of uh, Indiana. Mm. Yes, and I, I don't have a problem saying his name, George Mitchell. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, George uh, Foster. I got his name Mitchell, but George Foster mm-hmm. uh, in Kentucky, where he lives across across the uh, river from Kentucky, uh, from Louisville. But he was given the honor of of a Kentucky uh, 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 colonel, you know, like Colonel Harlan Sanders, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, yeah. Muhammad Ali was granted a, uh, to be a, a Kentucky colonel. And here's this guy that I was in the Air Force with and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, he just he retired as an air traffic controller. But I know that it had something to do with, with his hierarchy within the Masonic order that he was granted to be a Kentucky colonel. So he literally can go around and tell people, uh, you know, you call me Colonel George, I mean, Colonel Foster, you know, mm-hmm. Colonel George Foster, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the fact that he is only one of less than 10 people that are black that have ever been given that. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It shocked, it shocked me to no end, brother. It's, it's very interesting, but uh, there is, a lot of that going on, I, and, and I agree with you. There's probably a lot of pastors here in Philly that are Masons. You know, that's why they're able to get, that's why they're able to uh, appear on television, and they're able to hobnob with a lot of these politicians. And I've always wondered, well, why are they, you know, they wouldn't, if you were a pastor, you would not even be allowed well, to there, share. And there is no president that ever has been and ever will be that will yeah. not have some sort of Masonic oath of, of allegiance or, let's say, a related organizational allegiance, secret order allegiance that sits in that Oval Office. That includes Obama. Right. Well, we all know Obama is, is, is in on it. We, we all know, we've talked about him before. Well, remember, Bush came from the skulls. Yeah, Bush was out of the no. skull and bones. 
Right. So there, you you can go back to all of them, man. Uh, somebody did it online. I, I'd probably have to find it again, uh, where they found all the connections of these secret orders that every president since George Washington, who was a Shriner. Yeah, he was. He was, he was. All of them, if they weren't in some type of order, then they were deists. Mm-hmm. And uh, 40 of them, 40 of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were deists. And what I was just about is, to say that you tackled yep. it because they they all were in some type of fraternal order, be it masonry oh, or something of another. Even even the uh, frats and the sorority houses, all of these are interconnected with the with the shrine. Mm-hmm. You know, every last one of them. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> yep. Manly P. Hall and and all the you know uh, Albert Pike wrote a book called. Um, what is the name of the uh, the title? Uh, uh, do- uh, rules and dogs and uh, something like that. It's something dogma. He he wrote a book, and um, I don't know if the GT is on the line or not. But um, he wrote a book, and um, so that Manly P. Hall also was involved in Freemasonry. He's one of the founders of this brotherhood, and he said. The keys to the warrior on the block, um, and he went on to say that the seething energies of Lucifer is in that person's hands. Mm. And so, this is straight out of witchcraft. This is straight out of the occult. Mm-hmm. A lot of these fraternity, these college fraternities, these Greek sororities, you know, worshiping false gods. Well, what god are they worshiping? You know, they, we know that they're not worshiping the God of of, of uh, the Bible, and so um, again, like you said, uh, I don't. You said you didn't know anybody here in Philadelphia or any pastor here in Philadelphia that wasn't in the Masons, and I would have to agree with you. I just don't know which ones they are. I guess maybe it's not important at this juncture, but um, well, you can look at their rings. If uh, if you ever shake a pastor's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there will be uh, three of the fingers solid within the palm of your hand, and the thumb will touch one of your knuckles, or it will run from the uh, the knuckle of your uh, little finger all the way up. It'll just kind of like rub it all the way up, or it may tuck, uh, it may uh, touch a knuckle or in between a knuckle, and that pretty much uh, is a code communication to you that they are Mason and at what level they are. Hmm. Because each knuckle and in between the knuckle represents a house uh, that they have been initiated into. Mm-hmm. So just by shaking their hands, and you'll see it, it'll be it'll be three solid fingers mm-hmm. that will go into the palm of your hand. It will be a different kind of handshake, and and they will they will literally put a thumb. On some, on on either the first knuckle or you know, or somewhere, or run the knuckles from the uh, little pinky pinky knuckle on up, just like rub it straight up. Mm. And you can ask questions. Just a simple question: Are you a traveling brother? That's a very simple question, and you don't even have to be a, a mason to ask that question. Mm-hmm. You know, because they'll tell you just like they'll tell you say, well, yeah, you know what to say, but you don't know how to dispose of it. But right. either way, you can you know that's just very simple. The handshake and just say, "Hey, are you a traveling brother?" And then they'll they'll respond. 
but the rings and the and the, the patches on the back of the cars and things of that that nature the dead giveaways oh okay yeah and and what I want to talk about since we're on the 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 whole i the the whole subject of symbolism is a lot of the symbols that you see in witchcraft now uh there is one main symbol that you see in witchcraft, and that's the five pointed star. Now, the five-pointed star basically is the uh, it's a star with all five pinnacles on it, and it's with the one point up, and it symbolizes the five points of the earth, and it's earth, wind, water, fire, and spirit. And these witches, when whenever they want to call up or whenever they want to do a ritual or any or things of that sort, this symbol is always present, always. Uh, and they believe that it's a symbol of protection when they want to, you know, uh, establish a protection spell, they use this symbol. And I had a friend, well, it wasn't a friend, but I, I was sitting on a bus um, Years ago, it might have been maybe two or three or four years ago, I was on a bus coming from somewhere, and uh, this woman sat next to me. And so I turned around and I saw she had around her neck a pendant with the pentagram on it, the, the five-pointed star on it. So I didn't want to, I didn't start a conversation with her right away. I said to her, I, but as, you know, when it came close to my getting off, I asked her, I said, um, uh, so uh, are you uh, uh, are you into are you Wiccan? And she says to me, um, "Yes, I'm, I'm I'm a pagan." And she had a smile on her face, and so, but yeah, she and I could tell by the way she was dressed. She was dressed like a hippie, and uh, she had the, pen, the, the pendant around her neck, and they all worship nature. They all worship the goddess Gaia. Uh, you know, they do a lot of fraternity rites, uh, or fertility rites, I should say. And they're, if they're in geopolitics, then, or if they're in the geopolitical realm, then they're all for women's rights. They're strong supporters of the of feminism, the, the whole radical feminist movement. They're strong supporters of that. They're sh- very strong supporters of the abortion gay marriage, and sexual freedom. I, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen some of these individuals. In, in, and, and by the way, before I go on, they were very instrumental in the proliferation of the radical feminist movement. They were very instrumental in getting prayer taken out of the schools, very instrumental in getting their beliefs, in, you know, uh, proliferated into the education system. And so uh, they are, but again, like I said, they can be very um, militant when it comes to gay uh, gay rights, uh, women's rights. Uh, They're, they're, uh, but again, they're, they're very liberal and politically they're very liberal. But, um, the, the whole the the pentagram or the five pointed star is what they use to when during their their rites during their um, 
their rituals, and it's a, for a protection spell, or it's used in a lot of their uh, rituals when they and and not only that, but their followers, uh, they do a lot of their rituals on different phases of the moon. And right now, I'm going to look go back to my notes here. I'm going to consult my notes, so bear with me. Um, yeah, I'm going to consult my notes here and principles. So they uh, are very in, in depth or very involved in, and, they, and not only that, but they can, they, they're not, you know, they believe in the whole neo-Gnostic idea of esoteric knowledge. Um, um, so uh, I'm going to read here and some of their articles, the the their the whole uh, principles here. Uh, let me start from the very beginning. Article one: We practice rites to attune ourselves with the natural rhythm of life forces marked by the phases of the moon and the seasonal quarters and cross quarters. In other words, Wicca is a living faith that reverses or that reveres the forces of the divine manifest in nature. They're they're very pantheistic. They believe that well, now let me turn this around. They're very polytheistic. They believe in all gods. They believe in a multitude of gods. Right. All things are God in their in their in their um Right, right. Uh so the you know there's a spark of divinity and you've already explained where that's from. Uh so not only are they polytheistic but they're pantheistic as well they and what what is pantheism well pantheism is the idea that god is in everything the trees the waters the sky the moon and so that's the opposite of what monism is monism is all is one and then you've got panentheism which is basically the same thing yeah like i know we've gotten into i know we've gotten into a discussion with a few Christians who uh, fall under that pan pantheism uh, philosophy, and I, I for one, don't trust it because it sounds almost it sounds gnostic, uh, and I think the I think the term was said that you know God is in His creation. And therefore, all of his creation is in him, thus his creation is him. Right. Which is a lie because God is outside of creation because he created it. Correct. What what people tend to do, they, they get confused with the premise that because God created all things does not mean that he rests in all things. Just because everything is at his disposal and can be used as such doesn't necessarily mean that that thing is him. It's almost as if they take the speculation and make it doctrine, or they take the idea or the imagination and make it what is when it's not. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the doctrine of his transcendence. We believe that God created the world, but he is transcendent from his creation. And Correct. witchcraft does not Correct. teach that. Witchcraft teaches that he is a part of it. 
or he is it. That's what uh, pan- panentheism is. Panentheism is saying that God is his creation. Pantheism teaches that he is a part of it. And which is basically only as he has breathed life and that he has established light. Uh, when he withdraws life, the breath of life, and when he withdraws light, that would be the end of flesh, and then that would be the end of all things pertaining to this earth. Well, yeah, that's an um, an idea of his control over his creation, and the Bible teaches that. Right, that speaks that speaks of his sovereignty, not necessarily of his identity. What witchcraft right. tends to do is make his identity his creation. Oh, mm-hmm. for instance, you see me, and you see a lot of the Africanist movement guys say the same thing. They're calling themselves God, or they are God, or gods. They're they're limiting, or I should say, they're identifying God as themselves. Well, that's that's, yeah, that's pretty that's, much what exactly, that's what exactly what what Satan beguiled Eve with. Yeah, know ye not that ye are as God, knowing good from evil. From good so to evil. So it's just a, a personification, if I can use that term, or uh, an expanse on that very that very seed of deceit. Right, and, and so like uh, Jamel was saying, uh, it you know a lot of these pan you know these pan African religions and the Kemets and the, the BHIs and things of that sort. It's nothing but another form of neo-Gnosticism or another form of uh, New Age doctrine in blackface, if I can use that. Exactly. It's fun. No, 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 you're absolutely right. It's funny because we've seen that creep into the church. Yeah. We see a lot of believers fall into that exact same trap of believing that they themselves can identify with God or God can identify with them, and that's not the case. There's a brother in St. Louis, and I can't think of his name, doctor, I can't think of his name. Uh, he takes uh, people on regular trips to Africa, uh, so oh. his hometown, and uh, he has uh, one of the uh, largest, I ain't going to say the largest, but a, a very strong following uh, of people in his church. He's, he calls himself a pastor, and and uh, but he incorporates all of these things. Now, his, his story... Uh, does lay some fact to some references in the way that people uh, had their idea of who God is. Mm -hmm. But my faith is that when Jesus was revealed based on the promise of Abraham, that God made with Abraham, the covenant with Abraham, and then the divine miracle of what he has and is doing with me to prove to me. See, I'm talking about me and my fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Then I, by God, I ascend beyond that, mm-hmm. those things. Because all of those civilizations went to dust and none of their gods saved them. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Don't get me wrong. The United States of America is going the way of dust, too, sooner or later. But but I do know what that preservation of my soul is all about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, I, and it's funny, I the minute you start preaching that, 
You get called all kinds of names. The minute you start preaching that and saying that your identity isn't wrapped up in what your flesh is, you get called everything from an Uncle Tom to many other things. Don't call me that long because, see, I've read their books. And, see, that's that's one of the things that that I, I encourage people, that if you are going to speak about or against these things as a witness being anointed of God to do so, you need to you need to bone up on your on your education. Reading uh-huh. about things will not cause you to fall if you're doing it, you know, if you're doing God's will. Yeah, you know, you the more you know about what they're talking about, the easier it is, you know, and I'm talking about by the by the anointing of God, not by just by our own mental, but by the anointing of God, the easier it is to for your enemy to be made your footstool. And the enemy is the thoughts that are going on inside of that person who is potentially your brother or sister in Christ. Am I making sense? Yeah, yeah that makes that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. Unfortunately, there are a lot of saints who would disagree with you on that. Well, and I got I'm some for them too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let me let me let me get something straight about me. I'm very bold, very boldacious, but not because of what I know, but because of who I know. I believe and trust and stand on what the word says that that take no thought for in that hour he'll give me what to speak. So I don't concern myself about what another person has to say. Mm-hmm. I concern myself about what it is if I'm supposed to and what it is I'm supposed to say if God wants me to respond because then he'll give me the words to respond. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Perfect. You can kind of remind me of a guy by the name of David Carroll. I, I don't know if you've heard of him. I don't. I don't. You know, you mentioned a lot of names of people I forgot. <laughs> yeah, he's a, new on YouTube though, so you probably may or may not know him. But you, you kind of remind you because your inflection, um, the way you uh, deflect your voice, well, inflect. I am a pentameter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that too. And how you. Uh, Articulate. You remind me of him because David David uh, Carroll is is much like that. The same personality. I'm gonna have type. to look that up. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, let you, me continue. You see on the here. things I posted on your site. Um, let, let me see. Yeah, I've been trying to do a little research to help you out while you was you know. Oh, okay. The Eastern Star visuals that people can reference to. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I was just, um, I'll I'll look into that too, by the way, while we're on the call, if if that's possible. Uh, Let me continue on here. Uh, Wicca is a living faith that, I read that part. The face of the moon remind us to turn our thoughts inward each month and evaluate our psyches while the solar holidays are focused more on matters of life and community. The eight Sabbaths, are much like the stations of the cross of Christianity making life the uh, life cycle of the God of his journey from birth to sacrifice and resurrection, each with its own lesson to teach us through the meditation and attunement. Uh, so the word Sabbath or Sabbat uh, is a period... Wait a minute, let me see. On a sabbatical, that's not what I was looking for. 
Now, a a sabbat is a uh, any of the eight neo-pagan religious festivals commemorating phases of the changing seasons. So every year, or every not every year, but every month, like for instance, uh, the witches will celebrate the vernal the the uh, the vernal uh, the fraternal equinox, I think it's called, or the autumnal equinox. Then you have the winter solstice. Then you have um, the uh, the spring equal uh, or the, uh, the, the you know uh, March the twentieth. They'll they'll celebrate those um, times of the year. Why? You know they uh, let me first of all let me explain what um, March twentieth to the witches uh, are mean. They believe in the idea of the resurrection of the earth, or the resurrect, uh, the you know, uh, fertur- of uh, fertility. They, and that's uh, the reason why during the Easter, during Easter, you have the bunnies and you have the eggs. Well, the bunny represents uh, the fertility god or the fertility goddess Isis, and that's the purpose of the the bunny, the Easter bunny. Then you've got um, the time of the harvest, which is um, September the 20th, uh, I'm sorry, the 22nd, the autumnal equinox. Then you have, which is the celebration of the harvest. Then you've got the um, uh, December the 21st, which is the celebration of the um, the the Yule, and the Yule basically is uh, another representation of Lucifer. But since the witches don't believe in Lucifer, or they don't believe in the existence of such, they will tell you that well, we're celebrating, um, you know, Yule tide. You know, we're, we're celebrating. So this is and and by the way, um, somebody. Um, posted something on uh, my um, site. I think it was um, Brother Mac here. Uh, January 1st is Hag's Day, honoring the goddess as she whom tr- who transforms the day of Ishtar. Ishtar, again, the goddess of fertil- uh, fertility. Asterith, um, Ashtaroth, Asterith, Astarte, Isis, I just got finished telling you who they are, goddess of love and battle, January the, the 2nd through the 3rd. I'm not going to read all of them because it's quite long, uh, but I'm going to skim through some of them. This February the 2nd is the the Imbolc Sabbath, which means cleansing, purification, quickening, uh, St. Bridget's Day, old Celtic Irish feast of goddess Bridget, merged with the Christian feast, St. Bridget's fire were lit to welcome her as she traveled about blessing fields, animals, and people. And March, uh, you've got March the 20th, um, the Ala Festival, Nigerian, the Aduna Day, Norse, the Alban, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce these words, the Celtic Druid Holiday. And by the way, the Druids are a all-male coven, uh, and by the way, a coven is a group of witches. 
mm-hmm. and and that's what a coven is. And you cannot be accepted into a coven unless you are a member of a bloodline. But uh, I'll get into that um, some other time. But the Spring Harvest Festival, Egyptian, that's the um, the celebration of the coming to life of the earth. And Sumerian Festival, that's pretty much celebrating the return of Dumuzi, the god of life and death from the underworld to be with the goddess of life from the verdant part of the year. And see, all of these dates, witches are very busy. And especially Old Hollow's Eve, which was a tradition founded by the Druids. The Druids would, and, and by the way, the jack-o'-lantern was another Celtic tradition. The jack-o'-lantern was placed outside of the house of the sacrifice that was chosen by the Druids. And it was to protect the Druids from the demons that were in the house that night. Now, if now the idea of trick-or-treat is if the trick, if the, not, I'm sorry, not the trick, but if the, um, the sacrifice was accepted, then they would not be killed that night. But if the sacrifice wasn't, uh, or the sacrifice was rejected, then it would be murdered, and that would be called the trick. But the treat is the sacrifice. The trick is whether, you know, if the, the, the demons did not accept the, uh, or the god or whatever it is, didn't uh, accept their uh, sacrifice, then all of those people in there would be murdered. That's the whole idea. That's where Halloween came from. It's, it's demonic. You know, no Christian in the world should be celebrating Halloween. But you see a lot of churches doing it. Trunk or treat. Say again? Yeah. Yeah, they changed the name to trunk or treating, where they will uh, have the children receiving candy and things of that nature in the parking lot of the church. Sometimes they call them harvest festivals. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Uh Mediti, go on. Uh, you said you wanted to, to have to, to add to uh, what was mentioned earlier. Well, um, I mean, y'all y'all done an excellent job so far. Um, I really did want to just touch a little bit more in the details about the uh, origins of it, and uh, like the more and more I, I listen to it, and the one name sticks out to me, and that would be Mystery Babylon. Mm-hmm. I read in Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to uh, go from uh, verse 1 to 3, so just bear with me, all right? Uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 1, 2, and 3. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that stood upon the water, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. I'm going to continue to uh, 4, 5, and 6. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5, and upon her head was written, the, uh, was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of 
harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And, you know, in my studies, I've always uh, looked at uh, uh, Mystery Babylon as beginning in uh, beginning with the Tower of Babel. Uh, and when I look at, for instance, our witchcraft, in its, in its main form, like the form or the system that we have today, we see today, or uh, that we see today, like I said, I believe that it started at uh, the Tower of Babel. And, but we've already touched on, on this, you know what I'm saying, not forgetting the fact that Satan is the author of confusion. I believe we all can say amen to that. Exactly. Uh, now, now Nimrod, uh, now Nimrod established this false religious system that we've been talking about all night, e- even when it comes down to Freemasonry. But I want to pull your attention to the Book of Proverbs, chapter seven, verses one, two, three, four, and five. I'll read through that briefly. My son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and call understanding thy kinsman, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. We've already been talking about how how, uh, uh, witchcraft mainly deals with the use of words, and that's exactly it. When you think about Mystery Babylon uh, and what started at the, uh, at the Tower of Babel, it was that false religious system. And in Proverbs 7, this is, uh, from what I understand, an example of spiritual adultery. Now, the false religious system uh, Nimrod, that Nimrod established uh, of course, we know he established the worship of the elements of the earth, the worship of man, and the worship of the host of heaven. Now, I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 4, 15, 16, of, uh, through 14 through 19. I'm going to read here. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land I, I put hyphens on that, in the land, whether wherever you may possess it. Take ye therefore good heed unto yourself, for ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in horror out of the midst of the fire. Least ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image. Uh, I'm pretty sure y'all be able to give me some graven images that uh, a lot of the uh, people in Wiccan use. One being the uh, the uh, uh, five pointed star. I'll get into that in a second. The Christians uh, used a cross. That's a graven image. There is. Amen. Well, all you got to do is just go down New York City. Right. All right. Verse seventeen. The likeness of any beast that is on the earth, and the likeness of any winged fowl that flies in the air. Verse eighteen. The likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground. The likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. Uh, think about fish. Uh, the Philistines had a god named Dagon, 
Mm-hmm. And the Roman Catholic Church now replicates their robes and their uh and and the crowns that they wear or the hats that they wear look exactly like the priests of Dagon. Uh let me continue. Uh verse nineteen. And least thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun and the moon and the stars, even all the hosts of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord thy God has divided unto all nations under the whole earth. What what verse what chapter and verse is this? That's Deuteronomy chapter four, verse <laughs> You sound like you got kinda of excited there, brother. <laughs> yeah, I, I kinda of did. Verses what verses fourteen and nineteen. All right. Now yeah. now notice notice he speaks of the land where they will inherit. That land is called Canaan, or it was called Canaan at the time. And the people, as you said earlier, David, the people of that place, of that land was steeped in witchcraft. Now, mm-hmm. I'll go over some brief stuff. Uh, the symbolism of, of this worship is seen in the form of a five-pointed uh, star with the single point facing upwards. I don't know if you touched on that. I, I don't think I heard anybody touch on I, the uh, I did. five-pointed star. He did. Yeah, I okay. did. So, yeah. So, and the five, the five points were supposed to represent the five elements of the earth. Right. Now, earth, wind, water, fire, air, and spirit. Right. Now, in one documented account, the book of Jasher, I've read, and it speaks how Nimrod attempted or tried to force Abraham to worship the fire. But uh, now, because fire was seen as one of the five elements of the world, now this is what Abraham said in the book of Jasher, uh, just Put this out there. I don't believe Jasher is an inspired text, but I do believe it has some valid uh, historical uh, events in it. So, anyway, uh, now Abraham responded with this. He said, should I also worship the water that puts out the fire? Now, I'm thinking, like, this is common sense stuff. How is it that these people who worship the fire, who worship the earth and the sun and moon and stars, are unable to see the uh, the foolishness in this, and it has to be that they are under a great deception. And I believe that same great deception will take place, and is taking place, and will take place in the later days. Now, that's just one example of how Nimrod used witchcraft. As a matter of fact, the Book of Jasher says that Nimrod Nimrod changed, uh, his name was changed to Armor uh, Raphael. And if you look up the name or the meaning of that name, that name is used, I'm going to try to find it, I believe it's in Genesis, uh, I think it's in Genesis 12, Arm, Raphael, uh, Raphael, Raphael, I'm going to try to find it real quick. I can't find it. But it's used in Genesis, and the name means one who understands dark sentences or an enchanter. So here we have, again, Nimrod being associated with witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, fire worship was very popular because they... Now, all the things that David pointed out when it comes to all these specific dates, winter, the, the uh, winter solstice, the spring solstice, these uh, these nations that 
observe these days and times and, and, and holy days, they sacrificed humans to appease their God. Now, Paul said that they were foolish uh, into thinking that they was sacrificing to God, but they were actually sacrificing to devils. Now, when it comes to uh, the, uh, the worship of the sun, now, in their way of thinking, they thought, hey, well, the sun is losing his strength about this time of the year, so we need to sacrifice as many humans as possible to bring strength back to the sun so that he can bring our vegetation back to the earth. This was the same, despite the cultures of that time, they all worshiped the same thing. It was just under different names. Now, you said something about um, these guys sacrificing, you know, different victims to their, to appease their gods. Uh, I was, I I guess I'm, I'm kind of like more or less, um, I don't know, I guess the word I'm looking for is tempted to uh, say something about Hitler. What Hitler did, and Adolf Hitler was in the occult as well. He he was Mm -hmm. a follower of Helena Blavatsky. And the reason why he murdered like people are wondering, well, why did he kill so many people? You know, he not only killed Jews, but he killed um, a lot of people, blacks. He killed uh, Catholics. He killed uh, people that he thought were on the low end of what we call the natural selective pool. And so he killed all those people because he wanted to bring balance to the earth. I think the word is called eugenics. Yeah, it is exactly what it is, eugenics. And that's the the whole premise of what eugenics is, you meaning good, and genics or genetics, you know, good genes, and or good death. And so this is what Hitler did. And the swastika, which is older than Nazi, is older than um, 1945, way older than uh, the Nazi religion. It's an ancient symbol of the sun. Yeah, it's an ancient symbol of the sun. And not only that, but it's an ancient symbol of fertility. And um, the whole yin and yang philosophy comes into play when you're talking about... Generation. Yeah, regeneration. And it comes straight out of uh, theosophy. Mm Mm-hmm comes straight out of theosophy. And, and, and Hitler read his uh, Blavatsky's book, The Secret Doctrine, went to bed with it. And, and within this book, Helena Blavatsky talks about the whole Aryan race, and that's why, that's why the, the Nazis went to, um, to Tibet to look for the very first Aryan man because this is what... Helena Blavatsky taught in her book, The Secret Doctrine, and that's part and parcel. That's the entire crux of the whole Nazism movement. Right. Now, um, that's uh, absolutely right, David. And uh, to move move further, uh, 
on this whole sun worship thing because uh again the uh the Wiccans, of course, we know they worship the sun, and Wiccan pretty much is witchcraft. That's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. And and the worship now the the system that Nimrod set up, set up. Now Nimrod also he had himself worshipped as the sun god or the manifestation of the sun god, and he was seen as. Uh, well, as I say, he was seen as the manifestation of the sun god. And this is why many of the pagan kings from the Tower of Babel all the way till even till this day, uh, many kings were seen as the manifestation of whatever deity or the main deity of that land. And this all came from uh, Nimrod. But it also, it also ended up into ancestor worship. Now, mm-hmm. in... The regards of ancestor worship, you might hear some people say, like I've I've heard it in with Kemet, they say, you know, we have to worship our ancestors. Our ancestors will give us the answers. Our ancestors are the ones who are the stars in, in the sky. Cleopatra uh, and all these other guys. Right, but it also led to what you called, what you said earlier, was necromancy, and that pretty much communication with the dead. Mm-hmm. And um but before I go into that, um it also established another type of witchcraft and it's called uh you know uh, the horoscope, zodiac reading and uh psychic predictions and things of that nature. Uh and again some worship was the center of every pagan culture shortly after the flood. And uh, you have you have some people who who believe in life after death. However, they do not believe as the Bible teaches. Uh, Man, they not- even believe in life before life. They believe right. in reincarnation, right. which means exactly. they they um, keep repeating the same thing over and over. Well, that's deja vu. But they believe in uh, reincarnation. Well, not necessarily. Well, I wasn't speaking from a, a reincarnate position, but more so from. Life before life itself. Right. And they I have the idea that... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, bro. No, oh, okay. Well, uh, the perfect example of what you're saying, uh, Jamel, is uh, we've heard uh, we've, we've heard somebody say, well, you know, we were here prior to the creation of man in Genesis 1 and uh, uh, Genesis 2, and they say that we lived as light beings. That's one doctrine uh, that is spewing out of some of these uh, unbelievers' mouth. Um, yeah. Then there's the other where they say that uh, before man was created, he existed. But, uh, right. And they use, I'm like, they use what they use to try to refute the idea of you disagreeing is that God can think, and that's kind of obvious. But the argument is, because man existed in thought in God's mind, then we existed before creation itself. But that doesn't, there's no grounds for that entire argument. Right, exactly. Well, and, uh, one of the, one of the scriptures say? that uh, is used in reference to that is when Cain uh, was cast out and he went and sought and chose of the daughters of men. Um, now, what I refute... Uh, 
I could care less. You hear what I'm saying? I could care less if there were uh, beings, human beings, in existence before he created Adam and Eve. When he made man in his image, he didn't make men. He made man, Adam, in his image. Then he created Eve from the substance or the womb of man. And from there, after the garden, remember I said earlier, the time and how much time, you know, people read in the Bible and they say in the seventh day, and they think that they're talking about, you know, 24 hours and seven days. Well, actually, you know, it is about and the scripture says a day is as of a thousand years unto the Lord. And then we have no, no really, we really do not have a measure of time when it comes to right. Heaven. That's the thing. When it comes to God, there really isn't a measure of time in any way, shape, or form. Simply because God is transcendent of time itself. Correct. I agree with that. Any time, if you're if you're speaking in regard to time, in regards to with God in any way, shape, or form, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Except, in my opinion, with creation, the reason why I feel as though. <coughs> The solid basis for a literal seven-day creation is, is grounds for one to believe wholeheartedly that it is full 24-hour days is because in many instances, we see that everything that happens within the seven-day period is emulated by man from that point on until forever. Well, see, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the I agree. Sabbath. I agree. Well, 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 so the measure, agree. Time, measure of time that God established <laughs> between God and man did not occur until the 12th chapter of Exodus, the first verse. So I agree. There, but, there is no calendaric reference associated with the people of God whatsoever from Adam on up until that point. So well, actually, I hear what you're saying, uh, but you also have to understand that the, that the day... The day was only 12 hours, not 24 hours. The measure of time that God that God dealt with the with the children with the Hebrew children with His chosen people was based on a lunar observance, and it was only through uh, Pope Gregory of the Catholic Church, the Gregorian calendar came through, that everybody on on December 31st going to New Year's Eve, and everybody's talking about 2016. That is a total uh, 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 abstract. It is a lie. This is not the way God is measuring how he deals with people. Yeah, According to what he established. I'm only going by what he established. I didn't establish that calendar for, uh, uh, with man. God did. I, I, I agree completely. So I'm, not, I'm not making days, a case for the Gregorian. Seven days. Hold on a second, guys. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right. Let me, explain. let me explain the lunar calendar and what you're talking about. And also, I'm talking about the Hebrew calendar, not just a yeah. lunar calendar, because that's what no, I put I up on your uh, page. I put up the hold Hebrew for, calendar wait, as wait, wait. opposed yeah, to the uh, hold, on for, hold on for a second. Yeah. Please. When I say lunar calendar, keep in mind that I'm speaking from a biblical perspective. I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking with unbelievers here, so I'm talking from a biblical perspective. Uh, yes, God uses a lunar calendar, a, a lunar calendar in the way that he calculates uh, days. As a matter of fact, the word month comes from the word moon. And if you look in all throughout Scripture, you see, uh, um, for instance, when, uh, let's say, when it's the 15th, when it's the 15th day of every month, 
you will see a full moon. Now, despite now, I'm not talking about looking at a Gregorian calendar. Whenever you see a new moon, new moon literally means a new moon, meaning like the uh, the uh, crescent. That's, that's the first of the Hebrew month. Right. So mm-hmm. in the middle of the month, you have the full moon, and at the end, the moon is gone, and then you have the new moon right after that. So that's a, a, a pretty much a 30-day calendar that God uses, and if you want to look at that's uh, 28 Exodus days. 12. Yeah, 28, 29. Okay. Never 29. 12, Never. If you want to look at Exodus 12, look at Exodus 12, you'll see where God made uh, the seventh month into the first month, and they uh, had to do the Passover on, starting on the tenth day of the month, and uh, uh, so on and so on. And we know the Passover lasts for seven days. And a lot of Hebrew Israelites get caught up. You mean the up. feast of the Passover, not it's just the, the Passover. They did Passover on the seventh day anyway. Okay, again, if you want to get into semantics, then we can. But all I'm saying, you I know just, exactly what you're talking you, about. See, you said that you know, they did the fast, exactly Passover, and then you said the Passover lasts for seven days. But, again, you all referenced that there are people that may be listening that may not understand, and so we want to put it in perspective that the Passover, Seven days. And- okay, Nititi, go ahead. Okay, thank you. So, anyways, uh, looking at again the uh, creation, or when we look at creation, all, what we see through the first uh, the first chapter of Genesis, all throughout that chapter, it says evening and morning was the first day. Evening mm-hmm. and morning was the second day. So that's a 24-hour period. When we hear or when we see in Psalms where it says that uh, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, and then that was hyperbole. That was strictly hyperbole. Just show, it was just showing that God is beyond time itself. Right. Exactly. And same thing with First uh, Peter, where he uses uh, a thousand years as a day and a day a thousand years. That's not. That's never ever applied to creation because it's never what, applied to create. Exactly. <laughs> what you have, what you have, is an attempt, and this is uh, is a horrible thing that has happened within the church. Is an attempt to reconcile evolution with creation. So hmm. when you now, See, I don't judge evolution. Anybody, yeah, I don't judge anybody who. Who may feel like there's a bad theory and all that stuff? That's on them. But I know exactly what the scriptures say. Evening and morning was the first day. Now, as far as what happened and what transpired between Satan uh, and Eve and Adam in the garden, this all took place after the seventh day, and we do not have a a uh, uh, a specific time as to how long it took before the fall of man. Uh, happened, but it took place after the literal six-day creation, and after God rested, that's when, uh, whatever time afterwards, and if matter of fact, if you read in the book of Jubilees, it'll give you, it will give you a time frame, uh, I think it was like in the second Jubilee, which is like 52-something years, but in any case, in any case, it was after the creation that the fall took place. There was no fall of Satan uh, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, well, verse Beyond 2, that, they try two. to say 
to stick to, to completely ruin it, besides the fact that you just completely killed the entire idea for a gap theory or creation before creation, Genesis 3, <laughs> verses 20, says verbatim, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. How could there be a creation before creation if Eve, who was made after Adam, came later? That would mean that God created everything and then said, Eve, those are your kids. Right. Yeah, and I want to read. I want to read. Um, that kind of goes and kind of coincides with what you just got finished saying. I I hope um, Genesis chapter eight verses twenty two. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Day and night, amen. And just uh, just one more verse on the whole of uh, uh, creation thing. I mean Moses said it right there in Exodus. Uh, uh, you should do no several work uh, on the uh, hey. on this Sabbath because yes. and somebody else just in six days. In six days, the Lord created the world and everything in it, and He rested on the seventh day. So uh, that's a literal that's a literal application to creation. And, and can now, you believe he's still going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But uh, I, I did want to continue. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we were talking about... Um, uh, I knew that was going to cause something, and I'm really sorry. I should have I just kept my sentiments to myself. I'm sorry. No, no, you good, you good. Well, what did you yeah. cause? I, I didn't even hear what you said. <laughs> oh no, he just uh, he he brought up about uh, creation, but uh, oh. about how well I I think we were talking about how people try to say that there were other people around uh, when God created Adam and Eve. Now, oh yeah, me, I heard that part. Yeah, now for me, I don't think that's a a, a good answer to say I don't care uh, if there were people around. I think what Jamel did was perfect, you know, in in showing how after Adam named Eve, he called her the mother of all living. See, Mm -hmm. that's that's scripture right there. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, in regards to, uh, I wanted to continue touching on witchcraft, and there was something else that we didn't get to talk about in, in detail. And I wanted to read this from the book of Enoch again. I don't think it's inspired text, but, you know, I think it has uh, uh, a good historical content to it. Now, well, but before now, you go on, um, um, I, I want to, like, um, open up the floor real quick. Um, don't mean to interrupt you or anything, but it's 25 of, and I okay. wanted to open up the floor. Um, Catrice, are you still there? Yep, I'm here. Uh, you said you had a question. Okay, well, my my question, it's real tangential. It's not really on topic. I was going to oh. hold off on it. Because I, I feel like it's just going to lead down this rabbit hole, and I don't no, want no, no. to distract focus or anything. So. Well, if it's like, I mean, how tangential is it? It's very t- Okay, I'll give it to you. Okay. <laughs> I'll give it to you, and if it needs, like, a different session altogether, that's fine. 
Okay, so I know that um, somebody talked a little bit about how the man was created and then the woman was created and everything. And mm-hmm. so, but I've been studying in Genesis the the sections where it says, okay, God created man, male and female created he them. Genesis chapter Perfect. two. Perfect. I'm glad you just can I please can I please. <laughs> I didn't ask my question yet. Now wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> So now what I've been studying in that is then after the seventh day, mm-hmm. God created their bodies, and then they got into their bodies. So my question is, because this is something I've thought, but I, you know, it's still a theory that um, that the the spirits of man, mankind, the male and the female, were created first. And then man God breathed into the, the, the breath of life, uh, um, and man became a living soul. After after the seventh day, God created the body of the male, breathed his spirit into him, and then took the rib from that body, created the body of the female, breathed her spirit into her. Yeah, Genesis 2.18. Okay. And the Lord God said, "It is not man; it is not good for the man that should be alone. And I will make a helpmeet for him." Well, no, no, no. That's actually not the one she's referring, bro. If you go back to Genesis one, you'll see what she says. She, he created God created them male and female. Oh, yeah. Um, what I think, what I think happens here, what I think happens here, is people think Genesis one and Genesis two are two different explanations of two different things, and they're not. Genesis oh, one, yeah, one twenty-seven. Yeah, Genesis 1 around the end is literally just a quick, it's an overview of everything that's going on in Genesis 2, and Genesis See, 2 is much I more detailed. I, I understand that's how I was raised up, too. But I'm just studying it out. And it no, of course. Me, I understand. Yeah, if you look like now, it, on the seventh day, God ended his work, and then mm-hmm. he formed the man of the dust of the ground. Does that make any sense? It's in the same verse. Because I, uh, I I was raised up thinking that oh okay well he just explains a little bit more in 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 chapter two. Well, te- technically that's what it is. He's explain is is okay. If you look at look at Revelation chapter one, right? Revelation chapter one verse seven. It says, "Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him." Now, if you read further in Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, we see where the Lord is coming. Uh, we see where the Lord is coming with, with his saints. So it's like chapter 1 is like an introduction. No. And then it, and, uh, chapter 2 goes more into detail about the creation. Because again, all right, let's let's look at the concept of uh, God creating the spirit. Well, we know in chapter two that the man didn't receive a spirit until God breathed into his nostrils. The breath of life. That's right. what I was trying to explain. I understand now, I'm, that. I'm saying the, yeah, the right. spirit that he created couldn't go into the the man's body until he breathed. I'm thinking. This is what I was thinking. I'm still studying it out. I could be wrong. It just seems like God created that spirit first. He created those spirits, male and female, at the same time. He also gave commands at the same time. 
in chapter 1 of Genesis. And then he formed the body to breathe those spirits into. Yeah, the body was created first, and then he breathed into the the, the nostrils. That's not what it says, from what I can see. I mean, I could be wrong, but what it seems like is he created the spirits first. Then he created the bodies to put the spirits into. Well, what's the basis? What is the basis for the spirits being created? Can we look at that scripture together really quick? Yeah, I'm trying to find it now. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's. I know you said it was in Genesis chapter one, and I'm looking chapter for it. It one. says, and "Let it us says make man in our own image." Right. Let us make man in our own image and likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So, verse twenty-seven. So God created man in His own image. The image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. And God blessed them and said unto them. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish. This was after he created man. Uh, man. I'm saying he created man and then he created the man's body. I'm saying that man is not his body. Yeah, I'm trying Animal. to find that verse where um, he says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Oh, that's, that's two seven. Two. Yeah, that's chapter two. Yeah, that's chapter two and seven. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, mm-hmm. and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So he had to create his physical body first to breathe into him the breath of life. I'm saying he's not the physical body; he's in the body. Right? She's saying she's yeah. saying that the man himself isn't his body. Yeah, it's it's not his essence. I know what you're talking about. You it's, see what I'm saying? I, yeah. That's just my own. I'm just still, you know. No, but you're, in in that sense, God and no, 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 don't, don't feel like you're wrong because in mm-hmm. a sense you are correct. That we aren't our bodies. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. If right. we were our bodies, we wouldn't be receiving glorified bodies. Right. But what, what, I want you, what, what I need you to see is that the creation of the spirit itself was not before the physical body. In mm-hmm. fact, there was no mention that God created a male spirit or a female spirit. Sure, There's no it? mention of such. Yeah, in fact... If you notice, in Genesis 2 and 7, it never says that God blew man's spirit into his body. It just says God blew the, spirit, the, the, the breath of life into the okay. man, and he became a living soul. Does that, that make sense? sense? Because there is no gender to the spirit. I do get exactly. that. There is gender to the body. So that makes sense to me. Thank you so much. I wanted your feedback. That's why I asked you. <laughs> well, well, witchcraft, witchcraft will, will, will assert that... Um, God is a woman, and the spirit of man, it, it, all of this is just all there is. You know, Satanists will tell you the same thing, that man, all there is is man's desires and the bestial nature of man, and we don't have anything else to look forward to when we die. But the Bible says, and we just got finished reading it, that we're not, this is not all there is. You know, that there is... You know, it's called ontology, the study of essence in nature. And mm-hmm. man's ontological nature suggests that we are a tripartite being, man, a physical, uh, our physical body, body, soul, and spirit. And so, uh, but in a lot of the cults in particular, in a lot of your, you know, Wiccan religions and things of that sort, a lot of neo-paganist religions will teach 
that this is all there is, or they're over placing overemphasis on the spiritual or the supernatural nature. And it's funny though, a lot of charismatics will do the same thing. They will put a place an overemphasis on su on the supernatural at the expense of what we see. But the Bible teaches us that man, there's more to man. There's more to his essence than just his physical body and his five senses. Should I uh, unmute Mr. South Carolina here? Oh, he was muted. I thought you hung up. <laughs> no, he was muted because he wouldn't let anybody talk, and the GT was trying to, 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 to say something. Go ahead, GT. Oh, um, uh, where was I at? That was something that, okay, I was talking about the book of Enoch and uh, what he said. Now, this is this is something that grabbed my attention because, uh, well, I'm going to read it here. And this is concerning the sons of God and the watchers, all right? Now, this is uh, Enoch chapter 7. Now, uh, it says here, and it happened after the sons of men had multiplied in those days and daughters were born unto them, elegant and beautiful. And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld, they became uh, enamored of them and said to each other, come let us select for ourselves wives uh, from the progeny of men and let us beget children. Uh, Then their leader, Samzaiah, said to them, I fear that you may perhaps be imposed to, uh, to the performance of this enterprise, that I alone should suffer the grievance of the crime. But they answered him and said, uh, we all swear and bind ourselves by mutual eradication and so on and so on. Now, I'm a, uh, now, it goes on to talk about how they came down in number and they found women. But look at what Enoch says about what they did. All right. They all swear together and bound themselves by mutual execration, their whole number was 200, and uh, they descended upon Ardres, which is the top of Mount Armin. Uh, The mountain, therefore, was called Armin because they had sworn upon it and bound themselves by mutual execration. Then they took wives, each choosing for himself whom they began to approach and with whom they cohabited, teaching them sorcery, incantation, and the dividing of roots and trees. This sort of thing is known as sorcery. And the mm-hmm. Greek word is pharmakia, where we, get our, where we get our word pharmacy from. Now, the use of drugs and alcohol to open up the doorways, as, as you said earlier, uh, to the spiritual realm uh, is... Speaking of which, can we... Can we... If you can please, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You're pretty talkative let, let tonight. This, Did you take let some this uh, caffeine? Pass me by. <laughs> no, guys. I've actually been just studying. You know. <laughs> uh, I'm, but, um, teasing, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. If you can, bro, can you please touch on what the spiritual realm is? Because I think people kind of have this idea that the spiritual realm is like this other place in which all spirits dwell. But could you, could you just kind of, like, touch on that, please, sometime tonight and explain what you mean by spiritual realm? Because I think people kind of, like, give it a zip code, if that makes any sense. 
Okay. Um, how can I say it? Well, there, there is, there is a a, a, a dimension. I would say there is a dimension other than this physical dimension where there are spiritual entities, and within that spiritual realm, there are other uh, dimensions of the spiritual realm. Uh, for example, in the Bible, Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. Mm-hmm. So I deduce from that that if there's a third heaven, then there must be a second. Two others. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, we also see uh, that what Jesus said that that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. And in in pointing that out, you know what I'm saying, we are we're flesh. We can't see the spirit. We can't see the spiritual realm. But there are things that we can do to ourselves, like using drugs and uh, uh, alcohol, that can open us up the same way that we can be influenced by the by the spirits in those uh, spiritual dimensions. Uh, we can also open ourselves up, uh, probably not fully, but uh, at least in some way where we can communicate with uh, pretty much devils. So the spiritual realm is just another dimension other than the physical realm. And uh, there's a reason for that, as I stated earlier, when God placed that veil between heaven and earth, uh, the Garden of Eden. He did that for our protection because if we actually saw some of these demonic entities running around, uh, we would probably fall out and die from fear. Oh, um, uh, before we go on, um, I think um, our our friend is kind of a little upset. That's why he hung up. Um, let me. Um, well, you know what? Uh, here's here's the here's the issue. Mm-hmm. It can't be a one way conversation. I'm sorry, it just can't be. Even you know beyond conversation, even beyond conversation, we can't make speculation. What is? I mean, what is is what is. What our imaginations or what's good for conversation isn't what we should be dogmatic about, if that makes any sense. People tend to be dogmatic about what they imagine or what they think is the case or adding on to what is the case, and and that shouldn't be. Well, here's what he said. Uh, Muted, I was not letting anybody talk. Mr. S. uh, South Carolina, thanks for the revelation. I assure you I will not subject you to me or I you again. Okay. <laughs> so, um I don't know. Um Well, I mean we put it we put it out, you know what I'm saying? We have to be respectful of people's time. Uh if you say something then you have to give somebody a chance to respond and not cut them off. I mean, what else do you expect? I I don't know. I that's why um <laughs> It's it's strange. I, I'll talk more about it when when we get off the air. But um, but anyway, uh, Najiti, continue if you would. Yeah. So I just wanted to point out that 
you know what I'm saying, in witchcraft, uh, the use of drugs is, uh, you was pointing out earlier how they handed out LSD to mm-hmm. uh, the people. Uh, drug use was very heavy during the 70s uh, with the whole uh, love movement, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the, uh, the whole free love um, Woodstock movement in 19, uh, that happened in 69. Right. And, of course, with, with all the sexual debauchery that was going on, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like it seems like there is an element there's a there's an element of drugs, sex, and alcohol that's always connected to the occult, right? And uh, and some of their symbolisms, for instance, like uh, we already talked about the pen, uh, the pentagram, mm-hmm. five pointed star, but here's a here's a symbol that is very uh, that's heavily associated with uh, sex in the occult. And I think I pointed out the fact that, no, I hadn't yet, but phallic worship was also a thing of witchcraft because they believed uh, in the, uh, how can I say it? They believed in the power or the the fertility, the fertility, the rejuvenation of the of the fertility fertility goddess uh, of Isis, uh, Ashtaroth, and her counterparts would be Osiris, Tammuz, uh, uh, Horus, and so on. But the symbol was a circle with a dot in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and what that symbolized was a sex act, and the sex act was supposed to uh, demonstrate how the God that they believe in had intercourse and gave birth to the universe. Mm. But, and so as people, as the people who are part of these uh, occult movements or like Wiccan, uh, yeah, I mean, they meet up in the deserts sometimes, and they have a free-for-all. Yeah. And it's not just with people. Sometimes it's with animals. Mm. So, wait, they go into the wild and just start fighting each other? They go into the desert, and they get drunk, they have sex, and oh, they... Oh, when you said free-for-all, yeah. you meant free-for-all. Yeah, free, yeah that free-for-all. Free for <laughs> Oh, okay. I thought you meant like WWE, oh, no nah. holes barred, tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh, no. Nah. Yeah, the Royal Rumble, which Triple H won, by the way. But uh, go ahead. But yeah, I mean, I just wanted to point, I just wanted to point that uh, those specific things out because y'all touched on it. Uh, uh, Pharmakia, and we know what Revelation says that in in the last days, uh, I mean. Uh, during the time of the tribulation, they would not repent of their sorceries, and that's pharmacia again. Um, or what else? Uh, and the symbolisms. There's another thing. Uh, like I think I said this before on another show. I, there was a church in Greensboro, North Carolina, and it had 
the 666 circles symbols on the doors. Really? And yeah, and just to point out the fact that the church is not is not exempt from witchcraft. It has crept up into the church, and it is because of a lot of pastors who are Freemasons, and they bring that stuff into the church services, but it's done so subtle that, you know what I'm saying, if you weren't aware of it, of the occult, you would think that this is something ordinary. For instance, when, uh, like, when my uncle passed away recently, these Mm -hmm. guys, like, I almost stood up, and I was like, man, don't be doing no Masonic rituals over his casket. But I was like, he's dead anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, But, you know, they was reading something, and they uh, dedicated the body to the ground, and they and these guys had on these white gloves, and they were, they touched. Now, I remember in the scripture, I believe it was in Ezekiel, how he talked about how they, they bring the branch to their face or to, the, to their noses. And if you notice, in a lot of burials, especially with Freemasons, they mm-hmm. bring the branch to their noses as one of the uh, ways that they dedicate the dead body to the grave. Now, whether these guys know what they were doing or not, it's just evident that witchcraft has crept up into the church. They may not have known, or maybe they did have an idea, but they didn't understand the significance of it, or the spiritual significance of it. Yeah. But that's it. That's all I wanted to touch on. Well, I had an uncle that was in Freemasonry, and he he passed away. I didn't go to the funeral. But typically what happens at a Masonic funeral is because his order came, his brethren came with him, came to the, the funeral, that is. And what typically happens is that the person is buried in their regalia. And so he's dressed in the black suit and the bow tie or whatever it is and the white shirt. And he has the apron tied around him. And his brethren or his brotherhood, they go and they, like you said, they place the branch. I don't know what they did. I don't know whether they placed the branch over his nose or not because I wasn't there. But typically what that's what happens now, I don't know. It wasn't a, a Masonic burial because it was at a Christian church. So, I, my, you know, my uncle probably wouldn't have allowed that to take place. But they were there. So, uh, but typically at a Masonic funeral, the person is that's dead, the deceased, the decedent, is placed in the coffin and he's dressed in his regalia. Uh-huh. And... And uh, the, the the apron is tied around him, and they place the branch over his face or at his side, or typically in his face if they're a higher upper level Masonic order or whatever. But it's midnight, and uh, well, it's 11:58, and I'm going to open up the floor before I close the show out, and I'm going to do a part two of this very subject because you mentioned something about witchcraft. Being and as a matter of fact, all of us did. Uh, we mentioned uh, a lot about witchcraft invading the church, primarily the uh, within the Word of Faith movement, some charismatic churches, and even some Baptist churches. We talked about Freemasonry being involved in a lot of your Christian churches, pastors and deacons who are and trustees, if they, 
you know, they're they're they were uh we've talked about them being uh upper level Freemason um affiliates. And so what I want to do next Sunday is talk about that. Talk about the um witchcraft, the the uh, the, the Christian church or the Amer- American Christianity, the witchcraft invasion. And uh, uh do I have thy support? Say yay or nay, yay. Okay. Um so <laughs> nay. So, <laughs> nay, I'm not I'm not gonna be in that crap. Forget you, man. Be on your own, but all right, I'll just talk to myself. No. Um but yeah, uh it, it's very important because we see so many signs of this in the church. Now I didn't see it too much well, yes I did, but I didn't pay too much attention to it because I wasn't saved, number one. And number two, I didn't have a lot of discernment back then. And number three, I wanted to be a part of the crowd. And number four, I wanted to be accepted. Number five, I was just plain stupid. But we're not going to get into that, the reasons why I was so stupid. you know. But, um, yeah, that, that that's what's, that's what's going to be on the horizon for next Sunday. So I'm going to open up the floor before I close the show out for any questions, comments, grievances. You know, cuss me out. I don't care. What, what, whichever I got a question. Okay. Question. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, can you put on the list to discuss next week? Because um, this has kind of been a really big subject with me. The mm-hmm. whole, the whole notion of having a church, or attending church, or being church, and how it's actually not what's in the original scriptural text that it's actually Ecclesia, and how this whole notion of church and structure and and all that is based on paganism and based on witchcraft and Wicca and all of that, how the, like, the even the term church is a pagan term. Can, Interesting. Because I've been really? researching that. Yeah. Whoa. I, I, I didn't know that. I, you know, I... I, I, I new to me. Yeah, it's new to me, too. I will send you some of the references that I've gotten, but in a nutshell, I've, what I've been researching is the whole notion of church is a man-made creation where especially Constantine in 323 or something like that. Um, 313 A.D. when he... 313 when he created the system of church. Mm-hmm. But the original text is that we are called the Ecclesia, not church. There is a Greek term for church, chiriche, and ecclesia is the actual Greek term, and yeah. that it was replaced in order to incorporate the. And so basically, chiriche is a Greek term for circle or coven. Hmm. That's what the whole church system is based on right now, including the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and all Revelation that. chapter 3. No, right. 2, actually. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to send you some of the stuff that I found. It's going to take me a minute, but I'll send it to you because I'm, I'm connecting yes. on Facebook. So I'll send you that. Yes, please, because I want to I want to really research this so that I'm not, okay. like, next Sunday I'm not stuttering and stammering and rummaging okay. all over the computer. Can I throw this out there? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now I did a research on the word church, and I heard that, the word church uh, actually was, uh, well, 
I've heard the same thing, that the word church was used in place of ecclesia or assembly because of, you know, uh, the uh, Constantine wanting to, or the interpreters wanting to keep the establishment of church uh, going, per se. Uh, but when I looked up, when I looked up the word ecclesia, and I looked up the word uh, now. The word ecclesia is um, is translated, or it means called out to be called out or called out right. ones. Correct. Called out ones. The called out right. ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Here, here's the thing. Ecclesia, like some people will say, ecclesia really means the assembly, but in actuality, the Greek doesn't say assembly just like the Greek for ecclesia doesn't say church. And mm-hmm. another another part that I found, another thing that I discovered was that, okay, uh, because there's like so many conspiracies out there that I've really had to dig down and, and look. So just looking at the scriptures alone, I said, okay, well, if the ecclesia is solely meant to be used for the church, Let's see if the word ecclesia is used uh, any place else in the scriptures, and it was. If you recall the discussion that Paul was having at the Temple of Diana, remember? Mm-hmm. And a great, a great crowd of people began to assemble. And that word ecclesia is there to represent the assembly of the people who came there to uh, argue for the case of Diana. So I said, okay, so Ecclesia, uh, it, 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 in context, it's I guess it's based on, it's right, it's based it's on the context. Word. It's based off the context of what is being said. So if Jesus says, I will build, upon this rock, I will build my Ecclesia, uh, his assembly or his church, he's talking about his body. But if it's talking about just an assembly of people, uh, the word ecclesia is still there. So he's talking about, uh, they're talking about just an assembly of people. Uh, Now, as I look at the word church, somebody like my wife, she said it one time. uh, She said that church uh, is actually from the word uh, circus or something like that. So, okay, I, what I did, I went and looked at the etymological background. Forgive me for chopping that up so bad. The etymological background of the word church, mm-hmm. and it actually comes from the Greek word kyrios, and it means house of the Lord. So the word kirk, and then you have, you have kirk, and then kirk, kirk kyrios, which is uh, combined there, the house, uh, you have the Lord, which is Kyrios, and then you have uh, house. Uh, I got to look it up, but the combination of two words, which is Kyrios, and it means house of the Lord. So the word church just simply is just saying house of the Lord. Have said yes. The, the word kyrios is in the Greek, so is the word kirche or cheriche, so is the word ecclesia. 
they're just words, but they actually refer to different things. And the reason that the words were replaced was to accommodate this system that Constantine set up in order to make it, to first of all, to combine pagan traditions so he could have a little more control and start collecting money and yada, yada, yada. And then also so that they could have a system, something to focus on, something they could govern. They could set up a, a like a hierarchical structure. And if you can set up a hierarchy, you can control it. But that's what that's what I want to bring up because all these points are really interesting. I just hope we can bring this up next time. Uh, we will. Um, okay. I, I definitely will um, bring this up next week after I've done some research on it. Um, so, um, but thank you for bringing that to my attention. But um, or yeah. if you want, uh, if you want. Uh, just to keep uh David just to keep your um your series going we can just I can bring it up we can bring it up on freestyle friday can we do both <laughs> well i mean we could i mean uh freestyle fridays is the gt's thing so you may have to ask him if he wants to do it friday yeah i just offered so that uh oh. just to just to clear up uh the series with uh wiccan and witchcraft and witchcraft in the church mm-hmm. and my fact, yeah, that do that do go together so yeah i i mean it's up to you cool. Dave. Oh, that's fine oh, with me. I, I don't I don't mind at all. Yeah, we could do it Friday and Sunday. Yeah, I don't <laughs> it's no problem with me. I'm I'm all I'm sorry, you said Sorry, I was just saying that works for me. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Um uh, so uh tune in to that or tune in for that and um Sunday we're I'm really gonna get heavy into um witchcraft invasion of the church, but uh, Friday is when we're really going to start touching in on some things um, with regards to that. So, uh, again, thank you all for calling me. Um, Thank you all for joining me in this call. Um, I'm really excited about um, us, my my having a, um, a conference call like this. And uh, it made me think, it made me do more research concerning these uh, topics, especially the topic of, of the occult and the church. So um, thank you for joining me, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you guys next week. And again, Najiti has a show called Freestyle Fridays. That's Friday at 9 Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Jamel, Najiti Hawkins, and myself and Darian Eaton, we have a, um, you can join us on commonsenseandreasons.com. And, uh, of course, Evelyn Hawkins, Najiti's wife, has um, something going on with uh, exitchurchianity.com. You can join her and support her with that. She talks about a variety of uh, different topics and she uses the word of God to refute 
um, those um, things that are uh, talked about. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to close out the call. And GT, if you would, uh, just close us out in a word of prayer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I uh, uh, give you thanks and praise and glory for all that you have done for us. Uh, if we have uh, failed somewhere in uh, trying to educate, edify the church, please forgive us. Where we have failed, Father God, we ask that you fill in the gap. Uh, we also ask that you bless those who called in uh, and uh, bless all those who will listen to the show afterwards. And we pray, Father God, that they are also uh, edified uh, by the discussion, despite any uh, distractions which may have come up. And uh, we always extend a welcome to the saints who would want to come in just to be civil. Uh, we want them to be civil, Father God. But we ask that you bless us and bless our families and keep us safe, Father God, as we go on our journeys to and fro, wherever we may go. And uh, uh, feed us, Father God, from, from, your, from your word, the knowledge, and the wisdom to uh, uh, extrapolate what we need from the scriptures, when we need it, at the time we need it, so that everybody on all levels of, of thought can be uh, edify and encourage, Father God, and we encourage our brothers and sisters in the Lord to do their own studying and uh, to help add to the discussions that we have uh, because we all like to sit down and, and eat the strong meat and drink from the sincere milk of the word, Father God. In your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me, and the call will now end right now.